Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready for the Night Journal Podcast! So, we're, it's May 5th. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, which is a made-up holiday that Americans made up to sell more Mexican food. <laughs> but it's uh, Cinco de Mayo, May fifth in Mexican. Awesome. Yeah. So we're uh, we're out driving around. Uh, I'm all hot to find a Glock 43, and uh, so I some time ago I bought the uh, uh, Kimber officer's model. I got a Kimber Custom, and it's a real nice little pistol, but I also wanted to try a Glock 43 out see if I like that. Uh, so, uh, I also, a couple weeks ago, I'm a little bit behind here, but I recorded three interviews at uh, Ethan Becker's place, one with Ethan Becker, one with uh, Corey Murphy, and one with TM Hunt, so we will have those to splice in here uh, towards the end. Oh, and one other interview I recorded with this guy, uh, he has the YouTube channel called Primitive Foxwalk. It's like all, uh, stuff where people go out in the woods and, like, whittle crap and all this, but anyway, interesting guy, talked to him for a while, uh, got to know him pretty well, neat guy. He, anyway, he, uh, went to the Tom Brown Tracker School. Oh! And so, I, you know, you hear all this stuff about it, and you never know what to believe because the people who talk about it probably haven't been there. And so he had a real kind of balanced take on it. See, like, with my thing about the Tom Brown Tracker skill, School is I admire, I admire the skills, but I don't assign any magical powers <laughs> to, to me being able to find fucking water in the woods or whatever. So it's kind of where... You know, we talked a little bit about that, but obviously not too much. So you, did, you don't believe in dowsing rods? I have no idea about any of that stuff. All I know is, like, if I'm looking for water, I look for bugs. <laughs> you know, if I'm out in the desert, if there's a lot of bugs around, or if there's uh, green trees and stuff, or if I'm looking for water where we live, I go downhill. Yeah. Sooner or later, <laughs> you're going to find yeah, You're only 100 feet from water where we live. Yeah. You know, so um, here. What, what's kind of funny is the... Um, water well drillers use dowsing rods. You know, there there may be something to it. I don't know anything don't, about it. I, I don't feel qualified to comment on it. Yeah, they use but, that willow water witching thing, you know, with the sticks. and Sometimes yeah. they use, like, coat hangers bent and they cross where the water is. And, I, I have no idea about any of it. It's, it's not what I know anything about. So there, I'm sure somebody, one of our listeners does know about it, and so I'm not going to comment. Okay, so knife content. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that, uh, this is the triple-aught design. Is this No, one no, that no, that is uh, Prometheus design. Oh, pre- when is he coming out with these? It's out. Oh, what do they go for? Mm, Probably can't I don't even remember. Get They're... I don't remember what they were. You know, so this is a MIL LE 040.100. It's an automatic made by Triple Lot Design. It kind of has that standard, no. Uh, no. or not Triple Lot, uh, Prometheus Design Works. It has that kind of standard dauntless look, but it's an automatic. 
Really neat knife. It glows in the dark button, too. Oh, the button does? Yeah. Oh, because there's a uh, there's tritium in there, or yeah. just uh, glow-in-the-dark stuff? Well, it's... I don't, it's, I don't think there's a tube of, uh... It's that stuff, then. It's the stuff that they make the watches with. Yeah. Not, not the non-tritium stuff. Yeah. Cool. I, I need one of these. Yeah, it's awesome. It's got a nice, uh... It's got a, it's, it's got an interesting blade shape. I haven't put a lanyard on it because it's, um... Yeah, I don't think I would. It's a pocket clip deal. Yeah. Well, there's a, one in there's the back, a, so yeah. Yeah, I see there's the I wish, hole, but... I wish they would have put the clip reversible. Yeah, well, that's that's the only thing that I would say about this knife is if it had a reversible clip. Yep, yep, I'd be a little more excited. But it's cool. This <laughs> it's is a nice looking knife. Fit and finish is nice. Let's see if the blade is. Yeah, I mean, this is a real stout. It's got a real strong opening mechanism. I'm sure yep. everybody can hear that. It's got a nice button lock. Blade is perfectly centered, and by perfectly, it means I'm looking at it with my magic surgeon eyes. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't know how much it cost. Probably a lot. This looks like. And if I tried to go bucks. on their website, Prometheus, De Prometheus Design Works, um, I, th I thought they had them sold out. Yeah, I'm sure they do. They, these, anytime they release a knife like this, it's gone instantly. So I'd be very surprised if they had one available. So pocket uh, folders. Yeah, they're all sold out. Fuck that. You can't get one. Yeah, that's the one you've got. That's really nice. Mm -hmm. It's the Invictus. Yeah. Yeah, I'd buy one of these. Um, if, but again, if the pocket clip was reversible, ultra score there. Because there's no reason you couldn't make that reversible. Right. You just put the right, cause little you indent on the other side. Yeah. To deploy it. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Here you go. So we got that. We got that done. I bought a um, so the uh, Benchmade 940, right? Yeah. You remember I had to give mine to that tow truck driver. Damn it! And I forgot to show you my dad's. I got a new one, not a 940, but the new version of it. It is badass, but it's a hundred bucks more. Did you see the one that I put a picture of a while back on Facebook? Uh. -uh. It's uh. I got it for my dad back in, I don't even know, I don't remember when I got it, but it was a prototype from Benchmade. Oh, cool. And it's mother of pearl and nice inlaid and... A gentleman's knife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I forgot, I was going to bring that and show it to you. But I thought I'd, I thought I Instagrammed a picture of it. Oh, excuse me. Huh. And, um... Right yeah. Oh yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Cool, cool. I mean, that's very a, fancy. Yep. Yeah. Prototype. Yep. October 2002. Yep. So the I think it's the 941 that I bought. It's just the 940, but it's got a little bit. Uh, it's lighter and it's got different steel for the blade. Some like. Magic steel. Somebody who was with me when I bought it was like, ooh, that's like, you know, and I, I, I know some steel, but I, I'm not like up on the nerd steel level stuff. But <laughs> Not a nerd steel? No, I, I know something. I know the ones that I heat treat. So I heat treat uh, 
So far I've used uh, 1095, W2, 1075, 1055, and uh, uh, CPM S35VN. Um, so I know how to do that stuff, and I kind of know. Well, you how did to play some. With it, you did some. Uh, oh heat, yeah, 52100. You did some heat treating with Ray this weekend. Yeah, he brought some uh, 1055 that I. Uh, he had a some some 1055 with a bend in the handle, so I heated it up in the forge and then flattened it in the vise, and then uh, did some work on it and then heat treated it. That'll be a knife that goes up on my site after a bit. Um, but uh, anyway, let's go in and see if they have this gun. All right, sounds good. Yep, gun. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. say is that uh, if you have really big hands, you're probably not going to like them very much. Uh, I have uh, statistically average hands, and uh, it fits. I think if I tried to shoot it one-handed, it'd probably be a little bit more difficult to control, uh, but we will see here because we are going to go fire it. Um... Meat and licorice. Yeah. <laughs> Statistically, average hands, what does that mean? Well, it means I have a, for males in the United States... Uh, Is that bigger than Rubio or smaller than Rubio? Uh... I don't know. I, I don't know what his glove size is, but for surgical gloves, I wear a seven and a half, which I'm told is like the average, like the most common like hand size for average height and weight males in the United States. So I think my hands are bigger than Trump's, though. Mm -hmm. He supposedly has small hands. Is that what? Is that what the? Is that what the thing with the big stink was? His small hands. Yeah, they were. They were uh, saying all kinds of crap. Who cares? But uh, so, are we going to stop by Goodwill and pick up our Cruise and Kasich T-shirts today, <laughs> <laughs> or do you think all of them will be on the way to Africa? Did right you now see that? I laughed my ass off yesterday. I saw that somebody put a meme up with a, with five I African that. kids. Was it you? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was me. That was freaking hilarious. <laughs> They, I'm laughing my ass off. They had like that. they had like speedos on and they were dancing and it said uh, uh, the new Cruise and Kasich t-shirts are going to be here shortly. Yeah, are on their way. Cruise t-shirts arrive tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like a lot of our stuff like that, that that's uh, you'll go to like uh, like the losers for the Super Bowl. Yeah, or like you go to um, you'll be in the middle of the jungle and you'll see like. 
some t-shirt from some bowl game that uh, University of Arkansas played in in like 1982. And didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some guy, you'll see some guy wearing that t-shirt walking around in the jungle. Uh, but at least they don't go to waste. <laughs> yeah, they donate them and make money on them. Tax yeah, write-offs. They, yeah, it's a tax write-off. They probably, the way I do it is I list the retail price of the shirt. They probably, they probably print an equal number of both. Yeah, they do. And then they, they print print equal number of both. The winners, they sell for 18 times what the cost to print them. And the loser ones, they send to Africa and write off the whole retail. Times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 18 times what it cost to print them. Yeah. So, yeah, yep. so I guess uh, they both suspended their campaigns, so they're going to have to... The reason you suspend it is you have some time to unload all those T-shirts. <laughs> Although I think, uh, I think probably this year, anything that's politically related, like a cruise or a whatever T-shirt, if you hold on to that, it's going to be like the I like bu- Ike buttons. Yeah. You know, because my my grandma's got all that political stuff from back when she was all like young and hot and all this, <laughs> and then those buttons are worth like all kinds of money now. Well, you know, I think, I think that you're going to see. Uh, Donald Trump. I've I've heard it from several different pundits now, and it was an idea that I had a, a couple months ago. Um, having uh, Trump go to Cruz and say, "Look, I'll make you Supreme Court justice if you throw in behind me." I don't know how Cruz can though, because of all the rhetoric he's had. Yeah. I mean, because he'd be completely reversing himself. Although he was, he he was pretty nasty in some of the stuff. But. Yeah. Well, and then so, I mean, he basically called him a. But then you know, why wouldn't you accept a Trump nomination to right. the Supreme Court? It has nothing to do with Trump. But then, if Trump's cost is, hey, you have to tell him I'm like not a pathological liar and all this stuff. But I don't, and, you know, I don't understand where that stuff comes from. Oh. You know, the, I had a discussion with my daughter the other day, and, and it, it got kind of heated, and she was just saying that he's just disgusting, and he's just, you know, and I look at him, I don't see him being disgusting. And I don't see, I don't see the whole, he treats women terrible thing. Well, we're, we're where, where again, does that come from? Well, we're not looking at him through her eyes, you know, so she may see him do something and react totally differently than you and I would, you know. Um, I mean, I, so I, I, I don't. Kinda, I don't want to invalidate what she's saying if right. she's actually experienced that and seen that and, and reacted that way. Um, it's more, you know, I, in the eye of the beholder, I yeah. think. But uh, so today, and I don't want to get too far off on the political thing. And mind you, I'm not endorsing anyone. I'm merely commenting on what's going on. I'm not trying to tell you who to vote for. Or anything. just anybody but Hillary. Well, at any rate, so so guess what happened in the OR today? So I was in there doing this kind of long surgery, and this lady came in to relieve one of the scrub nurses because she had to go out and take a dump or whatever. And uh, this lady comes in, and we're we're kind of talking back and forth, and uh, I uh, somehow uh, the subject of Hillary Clinton came up, and she like went like 
ballistic. Like she hates Hillary Clinton. Oh, and I'm, yeah. So I'm of I'm like of course I have to find out about this. So you know I kind of talk to her, like we're talking now. Like I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying anything. I just want to know where you're coming from because you're very passionate about this. You know, like I I doesn't make any difference to me in the in the grand scheme of things who you care about politically. Um, so so I'm talking to her and she's like. She's like going back and forth, and turns out she's a like Bernie Sanders supporter. Ah! And she used to be like die-hard Hillary, but she hates Hillary Clinton now because she says that Hillary Clinton has like doctored some stuff in four different states, and there was election fraud and all this. And so, uh, and she says she wants her wants her in prison. And so. Uh, later on, I was asking like the other OR nurses, like, is like what's going on here? And they're like, oh, well, like before Sanders came along, she was the same way about Clinton. She loved Clinton, and everybody else was terrible, you know. So, but but so now I I was talking to her, and she, apparently she's like some sort of a big deal in the Bernie Sanders in Michigan thing, you know. Ah. And the other thing she's a big deal for is like she's one of the world world's most renowned golden retriever breeders oh really yeah she'll have a litter of pups and make like 120 grand off of them wow because she like flies to like denver to pick up like some dog sperm and like flies it back and like has to wow uh, you know it's like this big thing like she's like a world-renowned breeder for it but she's also like this huge bernie sanders fan hmm. and she hates hillary hates 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 she says she why does she like bernie so much well she says, okay, so this is where it gets funny, right? Uh, she says that she she thinks that we're, we've been lied to by our politicians, that our country is off the rails, and that the, she, I'm going to use her words, the mainstream media lies to us and wants us to vote for Hillary. And Bernie tells it like it is. And uh, it's no nonsense, and doesn't mince words. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot. The problem with with Bernie is not so much that he tells it like he sees it. Is the fact that it's if you if you add things up, they don't add up. Well, I, mean, I, I, again, I, I yeah. agree with I agree with uh, with the politicians, the media being in cahoots. Yeah. I, I mean, a hundred percent. They're you know, the only, and the, the the politicians, the media, and the um, uh, the power brokers in in Washington D.C. They're all in cahoots. I I get that. Right. They're the only ones that are making money right now. Right. Twenty percent of the households in America have twenty percent of the. This is a mind-bending number to me. Twenty percent of the households in America have nobody working. Have. The whole household is unemployed. There's not a single... 20% of the households in America... 20% of the households in America have nobody working. Well, some of that could be that 20... A, a huge chunk of that is people who are retired. Yeah, but they're still... Take... Well, maybe I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... I mean, but they're saying 5% unemployment rate. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It, you, it, you know... It's it's five it's only five percent if you forget about the people that just gave up looking for work. Yeah, that's what the it. that's what the twenty percent is. Well, it's yeah. Well, I think 
I think we've, we may have gone back to uh, one-income families again, uh, just because the jobs pretty much dried up. Right. And as far as trying to get a full-time job, it's you're very lucky to have to find one full-time job with benefits, let alone two per family. So I think I think that that's probably part of it is that, that there just aren't jobs, um, you know, and, and it, it makes more sense for somebody to stay and raise the kids than it does to have childcare. It'd be interesting to talk to somebody who's in the childcare business to see if uh, if uh, that business has taken a hit, and I bet it has. I would guess. Yeah, because I remember when I was a kid, like. It was the rarity to have a stay-at-home mom. It was right. actually a status symbol if you had a stay-at-home mom. Right. Um, and they, because, and pretty much everybody who wasn't I see, when I was a kid. turned loose like me, uh, I, I was basically turned loose, so I could do whatever I wanted to. But most of the other kids were like, if they were below a certain age, they were tied up in like a daycare somewhere. Most, a lot of, a lot of families when I was a little kid. When I say little kid, I'm talking second grade, third grade. Yeah. Most parents, when dad worked, the mom stayed home. Most. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't that way in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then now we're back to I think it's uh, I think you're going to see it's much more common if you are in a nuclear family at all. Now, mind you, like most people don't even live in nuclear families right. anymore, where there's well, a, a husband and wife or my kids. whatever. My kids were the rarity when they were in school, having us mom and dad, and all the brothers and sisters were related to both of the mom and dad and yeah, each other. That's uh, that well, was like the rarity. It wasn't. I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna come back too because uh, the divorce rate for your generation was greater than fifty percent, right. uh, and and it's actually probably a lot greater than that because that's per marriage, right. it was greater than 50%. But they all got remarried and got divorced again. Right. So, you know, so it's probably greater than 50% per individual. But um, it seems like, I, I've read some stuff recently that the younger generations are, if they are getting married at all, they're marrying later mm-hmm. and then staying married. But I, I you know, that I was... We're not having kids, though. Yeah, well, A lot of them are not having kids. Until a lot later. Although I've got... One on a, new, a new one on the way. Nice. Stephen's wife is about ready to bust open. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that. So, you know, when you think about some of the stuff, and some of the stuff I, with, with what he says, is is pretty true to form. But the problem is, is he doesn't. He's not offering any solutions. He's not offering any. I mean, the only the only solution that that I can come up with with that goes along with what he says is that our taxes are going to go up like tenfold. <laughs> well, at, at any rate, so what I was what I was talking about with her is that I said, you know, you're saying the exact same things using the exact same words that a Trump supporter would say yep. as the reason they're voting for Trump. And she got this look on her face, and I said, "Listen, I you know I don't care. I'm not telling you anything about who to vote for, but I'm just saying you might have more in common with uh, with Trump people than you think you do." Right. You know. And that's interesting because that is what that is what's fueling this election cycle. 
and so uh, I and so I was asking her. I'm like, well, so you're you're pretty connected into the Bernie people, and she's like, yeah, like you know this and that. And I said, well, so in your like Bernie internet groups, like what percentage of people do you think are going to vote for Hillary? And she said, well, this one I'm a member of has like 798 members, and only two of them say they're going to vote for Hillary. And who are they going to vote for? They're uh, going to vote for the Green Party candidate, which is who even knew there was such a thing. But either way, <laughs> well, there's a well, there's she, all of those. But, but she said she's going to vote for Trump. Oh, she did. Yeah, out of spite. She says that <laughs> we we deserve Trump. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think that she's going to vote for Trump because she sees a lot of the... Well, Trump and Bernie are saying the same things about it's, money and it's, politics. Except, and, yes, you know, except the, the solutions are different. Right, their solutions are different. And she doesn't... I don't think she really... That's the problem that, that they're, not, they're not acknowledging the solutions. Because one of her points... And I didn't even, I didn't even go... At, like, I'm not really interested in the guy's politics. Like, really, I don't care. Right? So, he, she... Uh, she brought up his politics, and the thing she said about his politics is, well, you know, I don't think he's really a socialist. I'm like, okay. Like, you, I leave it open-ended and non-judgmental so that they'll talk. Right. You know, I ask open-ended questions, and I don't try to steer them one way or another. And she said, well, I think that that's the media telling us he's a socialist. And I'm like, okay. You know, but then, but then they'll keep talking because if you if you don't offer any kind of a reaction or contradict them, then they'll tell you all this other stuff. Right. Um, but anyway, it was an interesting conversation in that I was assuming that the Bernie people would all line up behind Hillary. And no, at, they hate her. Yeah, at least at least this lady and the groups that she's a member of on the internet, and she's some sort of a big deal in the Bernie Sanders campaign is uh, she says they're they hate Hillary yeah. and she hates her so much that she's taking time off work to go to the convention and protest Hillary <laughs> yeah yeah there there is a uh, there is a definite hatred there that is brewed up what's well, worse than any of than any she was saying worse stuff about Hillary than I've ever heard any Republican, including Trump, say. Yeah. And she she not only did that, she laid into Hillary's supporters. And and this lady, she's older, and she, so I guess she can talk this way. I can't ever say this, but she said that Hillary's supporters are all fat old women. Like, and she was just, she was like lighting into people that are on her team, basically, but they're not apparently orthodox enough. So, anyway, that was my interesting uh, political deal of the day. Uh, I tell you, it is, it is an interesting, uh, it is an interesting year. You know, there, the, uh, Donald Trump has turned out more Republican votes than anybody in the history of voting for Republicans. Oh, he's, I, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something now, and some t- someday when some alien digs this up from a space capsule. I'm going to say this, okay? And mark my words. I'm usually I'm usually pretty keyed into stuff and, and what's going on. So whether he wins the presidency or not, okay, regardless of whether Trump wins or not, you are going to, people are going to write the history about this and a thousand years from now they're going to say that he was the greatest politician in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. 
he he is so good at what he does. He is like a Napoleon figure. Mm-hmm. You know Napoleon because he was so effective. You know, and uh, you know, you look at these great political people throughout history. Very rarely are great men good men. Yeah. You know, great men are almost never good men. And so, I'm not saying Trump is bad. I'm just saying that that great men are often very flawed characters, like right. Winston Churchill. You know, there's there's nobody alive today that can dispute that Winston Churchill was a great man. And there's nobody alive a thousand years from now that will, will be, ever be able to say convincingly that Winston Churchill wasn't a great man. You can very much make the case that he wasn't a good man on a number of different levels. So anyway, that's... Yep, and and you, when you hear people talking about uh, the the pundits talking about Trump right now, they're they're just uh, they're just saying, you know, this is a hell of a time to be reporting on uh, on on politics. What's this? This is this is a water well. Oh, a water well. I'm gonna fill up my water bottle. Oh, okay. Bottles. Wow, I didn't know there was such. A, so it's like an artesian well yep. that's running. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, cool. So we're stopping off at this. Uh, we're on the roadside here, and I'm going to narrate while Jim goes and fills up. Uh, so there's this thing which is called an artesian well. And, uh, water bottle. Oh, there it is. Uh, basically, you'd be walking along, and you'll find a spring that constantly flows water because the pressure underground is greater, great enough to force uh, water out above the ground. Well, so... I knew of a couple different artesian wells in Iowa that were tapped like this one is. And uh, I think, I want to say there was one down by Story City or something. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is, but I, when I was into brewing beer, I got uh, some water from this artesian well thinking it would be, you know, like artesian. Like, I was like a hipster before there was such a thing, right? Craft brewing beer and like, artesian well water and all this bullshit um really it just made the beer taste skunky but uh anyway so we have this uh he's got this artesian water it's like literally we're on the side of the road and there's like some bricks or whatever some stones and like a pvc pipe with water pouring <laughs> out of it does that flow year-round or just yep. no, yeah wow so so we stop all i mean literally i mean i drink a ton of water yeah we stop and fill these bottles up all the time. Wow. And if you buy the smart water bottles, the smart water bottles are heavier duty than the regular bottles. So you pay yeah. like 20 cents more for a bottle of water and then you just keep refilling it. Yeah, with uh, real deal artesian yeah. water. And this is good water, I bet, because we're next to all these great lakes. Mm -hmm. So non-stinky. Yep. No, no, it's really, really yeah. good. My well water is great. Yep. Best, best well water I've ever drank. Yep. Uh, but of course, I live... Uh, uh, less than a quarter mile from uh, Lake Michigan, so I would expect it to be. Yep, we're blessed. There's no doubt. So there's a uh, uh, for all of our wild edibles foraging people. There's uh, we're coming into morel season right now. Yeah, right now. Next couple days. In fact, I bet if we go out in the woods, we'd probably maybe even find a couple. Uh, one of my scrub techs down in uh, Traverse City on Tuesday told me that he found three small ones in his yard and so I went out in the woods and looked around but 
I didn't find any, but we had rain on Wednesday, and it's been warm now, so I think yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah, 60 degrees right now, and tomorrow it's supposed to be warm, too. Yeah, so, so I'm... So it'll be, it'll be out tomorrow. Yep, I'm thinking there's going to be a bunch. Uh, and actually, morel season for most of the country is probably either over or nearing being over, but... Yeah, we're, we're just starting the blacks right now. A friend of mine, a couple yeah. days before it rained, they found... Uh, about a dozen yeah. blacks. Well, that's what he found. He found three little black ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a little bit early, but yeah. Trees aren't trees aren't quite budding out yet. Maples are starting to. So I, uh, in that August windstorm last year, uh, had some trees blow down, and one of them I thought was a, a river birch, because river birches have rough bark at the bottom and then birchy bark at the top mm -hmm. and so there was a tree down that was like that uh, looked exactly like every river birch I've ever seen but I uh, so I went and chopped it up and stacked it uh, and somebody asked me what kind of a tree it was and I said I, I think it's a river birch and then somebody else said it's a poplar but so they must have different kinds of poplars up here that yeah. I'm used to seeing yeah 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 those are uh, that's That's a um, that's a pretty common tree up here. Well, yeah, I mean, but you know the, the they make good spoons. <laughs> spoons. <laughs> you can carve with good spoons with them. Well, so and they'll be they'll be okay for. I mean, I had a friend of mine that that's all he burned in his yeah. house because that's all the woods he had was it's all. Kind of soft though. Yep. Yeah. So what? Yeah. And they they dry they dry and they burn. Yeah. And they burn hot and uh, and pound for pound. They all have the same BTUs. Yeah. I mean, pound for pound. Okay, so you take a pound of pound of dried popple and a pound of dried oak have exactly the same number of BTUs. Just that a piece of, of firewood that is oak and a piece of firewood that is popple. More the oak is, the oak the is probably going to weigh twice as much as the popple. Yeah, for the same volume. Yeah. yeah, it's more dense, so it's more efficient to stack oak. Yep, yep, yep. But... Uh, but popple burns good, and, and uh, yeah. it's easy to, I mean, once it's dry, it's real, real easy to start. And, and, well, uh, but, you, you know, a lot of people call it gopher wood. Yeah. A lot of people used to use it for kitchen fires because it, it heats up real fast. Okay. So, so it burns real hot and burns fast. So it's a, um, uh, it's a big, you know, if you're using a kitchen stove that, you know, operates off of, off of uh, wood. Yeah, it's good to have a kind of wood that's available that burns real fast. So you know, uh, uh, yeah, because you don't you don't want to heat your whole damn house up for the whole day. You right. want it to burn quick and then go away. Right. But uh, the what was I going to say? Oh, so the bottom half of this tree uh, is spalted. Oh. So what I was thinking of doing was uh, after it dries. I, I saved a couple big chunks of it. I might uh, you get one of those chainsaw mills and cut some boards out of it, and then uh, have pay somebody to cut it down to five by one and a half by three eighths inch pieces, and then stabilize them. Yeah. Because it's actually really pretty spalted wood. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's different colors in there. Yeah, once you stabilize it, it doesn't know the difference. Between yeah. Anything. Yeah, so I mean, you're essentially buying epoxy anyway. So really, what you want to have is a pretty piece. And yep. 
I think it's going to be really pretty. I think I can get, you know, three, four hundred knife handles out of it easy, just out of the, the two big logs that I saved. Um, so anyway, that's what's new. With uh, so, so I did a video a week back or so about a silky saw. Okay. And uh, I was uh, I was teasing my buddy Gene about silky saws. I've been relentless with him for the past couple years, probably five, six, seven years. And uh, and finally broke down and got one. And and uh, well, I was pretty impressed actually with it. Yeah, it, they cut quite well. Uh, well, it would be as good as any. I mean, I have a, a, a fence saw yeah. guy. Yeah, those I, mean, are I have my two favorite. or three of those. Yeah. And uh, I think the silky probably cuts better. Well, I'll have to play with it. But yeah. in, in my experience, uh, there's very little gear related subject that I have found uh, Gene to be lacking in. Yeah, oh, yeah. So if, if he makes a recommendation, recommendation for. A particular saw, I'm at least going to look at it and give it a shot. Um, uh, even if some of it seems a little goofy. Uh, usually he's right. Yep, he's he's uh, he was definitely right in that one. Somebody got a lot of wood loaded yeah, there. Yeah, my mine is coming in two weeks. Huh. I got uh, 20 pole cord wood coming. I got a have him call my guy and have him drop some off. How far is your wood pile down? Oh, I have uh, I have one hole. I probably have two and a half cords left or so. But uh, anyway, uh, we will be back shortly. Okay, we're back. We're uh, back in Jim's backyard here. Uh, historic moment for me. I have never owned a Glock, and this is the first time I'm firing this particular one. Uh, I shot Jim's one time. Uh, let's see. I'm kind of close to the target here. Just want to make sure I still on seven yards. I just want to make sure. Yeah. It, it goes right where you're aiming it. <laughs> Damn thing is loud though. I think I'm gonna back up a minute here. I'll shoot once more and make sure it wasn't a fluke. That was a fluke. Either that or I'm jumpy. Why am I missing? <laughs> there it goes. So I was just I was just being jumpy. So, you want to fire it? Oh wait, I'm, not, I'm probably out. One left, I suppose. Is there a chamber indicator? Yeah, there's one in there. Yeah, okay. Here, you shoot it. I'm going to back up. <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's decent. It's, yep. not as, it's not as handy as my M9 is, but... 
Ugh, got hot, hot. <laughs> Jim shooting is uh, 19. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a bit. The gunshots will get louder, but maybe you'll hear the ping <laughs> <laughs> of me hitting the target. Hopefully. Yeah, that shoots nice. I like that. Yeah, it's not bad. It's loud. There we go. I got it. Yeah, so that was uh, six out of six from double the range. So I think I just was, I only got two out of five that first one. I think I was just jumpy. Yep, it's just getting used to it. The the weird thing about these, oh, here comes somebody on their cat. We better wait till we visualize them. And by the way, people, we are shooting into a backstop, NOCA approved. Uh, the weird thing about these, uh, about some of these is, I have some automatics where it doesn't seem like the barrel floats like these do. You know what right. I mean? But the the Glocks, all the barrels all float on them somewhat. Yep. Yep. Is it? Maybe you know about that design feature more well, than see, I do. They're they're uh, actually similar to a um, to a, a Browning High Power. Okay. The Browning high power floats too. The the rear block is similar to it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, so that's uh, shooting the new firearm. I'm, I'm I think this is pretty good. I think with a little practice, I could be a decent shot with this. Oh yeah, yeah. That's they're you know out of the box are pretty hard to beat. Yeah. I mean that's what I notice is that Glocks are out of the box. I've I've carried a lot of 19s and every one of them was brand new out of the box. And yeah. Every one of them shot perfect. Well, it, it's shooting right where I shoot at it. I, I suppose we were at what uh, by that box there. What do you say well, that is? Twenty yards or so. That's about. That's fifteen feet, which to the tree. Yeah, that was the first ones. Yeah, so for 15 yards, that's well beyond the combat range. Yeah, three to seven yards. Yep. Yeah, this this is my deal with handguns. Mm -hmm. I shoot them better longer <laughs> than I do up close most of the time, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me being jumpy. But yeah, uh, you get used to it. Yeah, you'll get used to it. Yeah, it's a uh, that's a nice little gun. So now we have. Uh, we have some other, you want to shoot it some more? No, I'm good. Okay. Well, there's, uh, we have uh, some other gear-related stuff to talk about here. I picked up a uh, um, heavy cover titanium canteen. Yeah, with the kit and then the little snoot and the little, that comes yeah, with little it. cup and cover that comes with yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's by uh, Keith Titanium. Yep. Yep. And the... the uh, it's the butterfly style handles on the cup, which, you know, some people like it, some people don't like that. They like yeah. the other ones better because you can put a stick on it a little easier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, personally, it it's really doesn't matter to me that much. Six of one, half dozen of the yep. other. It comes with two different types of lids. 
the mouth is a little bigger than a regular GI. And I think if you consider the weight of the canteen and the weight of a stainless steel GI canteen, I think, and those are one quart. This is a little more than one quart. Yeah. And so I think the weight is exactly the same. Wow. But I think it's just you're carrying a little bit extra water yeah. in this one. But it's a nice setup. It's a... Uh, you know, you can hang the whole, you could hang the, the, the canteen over fire and not hurt it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some people don't like titanium that much, but I like it. It doesn't, uh, it cools off fast. So, yeah, yeah. So you don't, it's, you have a better chance of not burning yourself, burning yeah. your lips and stuff when you're trying to drink out of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, heavy cover, real nice canteen setup. I like the bag it comes with it. Yeah, this is a... This is a. Uh, it doesn't come with a bag. Oh, it doesn't. You, you have to buy this. This is the. This is the new. The new canteen cover. Um, By, uh, the regular GI that? one. That's, this uh, one is. Five star gear. Yeah. That, everybody's gear. making these now. Yeah, yeah. But they come with little packets for your water purifier, tablets, or. Uh, yeah. Whatever you're using, it's got a double cover on the. On the uh, overstrap. Yep. That's very similar design to the. To the one that I have. Uh, Yep. Yeah, that you know the the other one that you've got uh, that I think actually for me makes more sense is a canteen cup with a Nalgene uh, yeah. canteen bottle yep. in it because I I really don't need the metal the canteen part to be metal, um, but uh, you know it's the the nice thing about the titanium is just the fact that it is light. I mean, yeah. the, the Nalgene one isn't isn't that much. Yeah, you don't save that much. Lighter. Yeah, and uh, but they're expensive. I mean, yeah, they're new. They're like 160 bucks. Yeah, I'm sure that's an expensive piece you know, of kit there. But you know, you have it, you use it. Yeah. You know, that's the cool. You know, it depends on what you're doing with it and how much. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to make a uh, or get a a nice strap to go lengthways so you can carry it over your shoulder. Yeah. Rather than just hooking onto your belt or pack or whatever. Right. Right. I'm more fond of that. Yeah. You know, for day hikes and that kind of stuff, it's a little nicer. Yeah, because then it's, uh, you know, just strap it onto your pack rather than somewhere else. Right, right, exactly. So I watched this, uh, I watched this great documentary on, uh, on, uh, Netflix that you would love. Okay. It's uh, about Outpost uh, Restepo or whatever. Okay, yep, yep. Is that what it's called, Restepo? No, it's uh, Co the Corentan Valley, or I guess that's what they call it. Mm -hmm. Something Valley, it, but it's it's a name that starts with a K, and I know I'm saying it wrong. Or Kukunar Valley. No, it's not that. It's like a core something valley. K-O-R something. But uh, anyway, it's the documentary is titled that, but it follows a, a group of people that go through that for 15 months. And uh, kind of shows them and doing all their stuff. That was really cool. Um, I watched that over the last couple days. That um, Vikings has really been good. If you've been had a chance to watch any of that, no, I haven't. Alone has been kind of interesting. Have you watched any of that? I have not been able to. I again, I've been a very bad uh, TV viewer lately. Have you been? Uh, have you been recording it? Uh, I don't have the wherewithal to do that. I don't have the system in place. Oh, I thought you had a DVR. 
I used to have a magazine too. Here it is. <laughs> I thought I dropped my magazine out there, but I didn't. So, so I'm not sure about that. What that guy was talking about with that ammo. The oh, cases were a little bit bigger. Yeah, they were just a. The deal is, is that they were they're like a a teeny tiny little fraction of an inch longer. So what you have that in your uh, phone? You took a right, picture of that. The brand name. Well, there's this there's this ammo that is uh, frangible ammo meant for home defense. Um, and some guy had his Glock 43, and uh, they they kept uh, they would not eject. From there. It was called Dynamic Research Technologies. Right, and it's a it's a frangible 9mm yep. round, but the cases on them are just a fraction of an inch longer than uh, than other 9mm ammo. And so they the store called Glock, and Glock said that you shouldn't use that ammo in your firearms, so obviously I didn't buy any. Yeah, they said it was... Uh, um, which I thought was kind of funny. They said it was uh, the the casings were a bit, a little bit bigger. Yep, yep. But, uh, so yeah. I'm not well, sure that I quite understand how that could possibly happen. You know, if you've got if you're making ammo, the dies are nine millimeter dies or nine millimeter dies, sizing brass accordingly. Well, maybe it's. Maybe they just got a little bit off on that particular die. But then the other thing too is that uh, maybe they, maybe it's a combination of the case is just a fraction of a millimeter bigger, and then there's not enough juice behind it. Right. So I have a confession to make. Uh, when I went to my concealed carry course, uh, I always, if I have to shoot and shoot accurately and reliable, reliably, I always bring my M9, because mm -hmm. I know it works. I, I've shot that for years, and I know I can hit what I'm aiming at, and no monkey business. So I brought the M9, and I was shooting really well, and all of a sudden I started getting stove piping. And I was shooting gloriously well while I was stove piping, but it stove piped every shot. Ooh, that sucks. Well, and the reason it was doing that, and I have to watch myself with this, is that... Uh, when I get really, really relaxed when I'm shooting... You limp it. Yeah. And then I, I, I don't react at all, and it, it just kind of... I, I don't put any yeah, tension at all Yeah, there's not enough tension. The, it reco the recoil... Oh, excuse me. It's, transmi it's not transmitted to the... To the... Um, yeah. To the recoil spring as much. You're so, absorbing a, too much in your hand. Yeah. So I... I I get one really well-placed shot, <laughs> and then I have to clear. And tap, wrap, and clear. Tap, wrap, and clear. Yeah, tap, wrap, and clear. That's what I. That's what I was doing. Uh, that silky song. But then, but then I reminded myself and corrected the problem. So. So back to the silky saw. Oh well, yeah. So I'm going to describe this to people. It's silky big boy. S I L K Y. Now, this is the biggest one I think that they make. Yeah. But I could be wrong. And this is a this is a folding saw, and it snaps into place. You heard that. And in order to unsnap it, you press this thing, and it disengages this bar from the top of the blade. So it's sort of like a lockback. Yeah, it's like that. It looks like there's two positions you can lock it open in. No, you shouldn't be able to, but... Anyway, um, 
Yeah, the teeth are like teeth are really really aggressive. Uh, they're and they're set to cut while you pull. Yeah. Well, so that so the saw can be a little thinner and it doesn't bind. I think that's the trick to it. So it's like a Japanese. Yeah. Well, it is uh, a Japanese saw. Okay, that makes sense. Oh yeah, it says made in Japan on it. I have no idea what the steel is that it's made from. It's probably very good because we built their steel mills. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was I was really impressed. You could yeah, cut that's nice. a lot of wood with that very quickly. Yeah. Um, that's nice. It's not a plaything. It's mm -hmm. a real saw. Mm -hmm. And they make them a lot of different sizes. Yeah. So I tested one, the saw viver. Mm -hmm. That okay, I get it. It's like lightweight and compact, but like the blade length wasn't adequate for me. I mean, other people love it, but for me, I didn't really to like me, it. To th me, this is a hard saw to beat. Yeah, I, I mean, know. really, I play with it. it really is for for. Um, I want to say it was fifty bucks. Yeah. On Amazon. Um, and the, the blade length is just... It's like 14 and a half inches long. Yeah, that's like, it's almost as nice as a, nice a blade length as a Sven saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's easier, that with the Sven saw, you have to like monkey around with right. it. Right. You have to set it up and all that. Right. Because it's an actual... And they cut well, and I got no... Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah. Um... But I think if you're at, if you're a guy that's after some real lightweight, the smaller version of this would be just fine. You know, if you're doing um, like let's say you're doing a Boundary Waters trip, yeah. where you're doing all live wood for your camping for your eating, uh -huh. um, they're perfect. Yeah. You know, you can make small small pieces of wood very quickly if you're using a Kelly kettle or something like that. Yeah, nice. You know, Gene is always. Uh, I mean, if you ever watch him with his Kelly kettle, he's real anal about his pieces are all this uniform yeah, yeah, yeah. length and size. Anal and retentive Kelly Carpenter user. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. But uh, um, but he, but he always but you know he always makes a nice fire with it, and, and he, he makes his sticks. He quarters them, hmm. you know, gets his little fire going, and then he he's constantly adding fuel to it, and he can continue to boil water for a long time. I'll have to get my Kelly kettle out. I haven't played with it for a while. Yeah, I have two different ones. I have a big one and a little one. Yeah, I have the medium Scout one, and then I have the little one. Yeah, and but I think the Solo, the little, the little one is definitely better. The big one is really good for a couple people. If yeah. you're doing like a like a um, uh, a winter kayak trip or a winter canoe trip or a winter rafting trip, yeah, and you and you brought like freeze dried food to. Yeah, that that Kelly kettle is really nice because you can make a lot of hot water quick. Yeah, I like the um, the so I have the medium and the small. the The criticism I have of the small is that the firebox is too small. Oh, yeah. One of the one of the problems that you run into when you try to miniaturize a stove and you're trying to use natural materials to fire it is that you are miniaturizing the firebox, and by necessity. It becomes more problematic to use. Yeah. Uh, you have to maintain it a lot more. You have to monkey with it a lot more, and I, I end up getting frustrated. Um, but uh, yeah, they should have made the firebox bigger on the on the little one. Yeah, I mean, because it, I don't know. But I I bought both of them to try them out, and I, I like the little one, but I don't like it as much. Now for the winter stuff. It's hard for me to argue against a Morris pot and a MSR Whisper Light and a fuel bottle. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because I'm not having to rely on natural fuels. I'm not monkeying around. I know that I've got a system that's going to work even at altitude, uh, even in a burn ban. Doesn't matter. I can. I know I will have food that way. Yeah. You know, if you're having to melt snow to get water, it's kind of tough to. <laughs> put that stuff inside of a Kelly kettle. Yeah, you got to kind of put it in by the teaspoon. Yeah, so for if I know I've got water, then a Kelly kettle is great. But if I'm having to melt, I like the uh, I like the MSR Whisper Light and a Morris pot. I like my I like my uh, that other stove I have that uh, the Ven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great. It's the one that everyone is based on. Yeah. Yep. Well, we have probably be- between us uh hour of content. Uh, we could probably call it and uh, start with talk, the interview. We can talk lots about we can talk lots about the politics next week. Yeah, we, maybe we'll do a special episode where yeah. we update on some knife stuff, but then yeah, because I got to talk about my new watch too. Oh yeah, Jim's got this uh, watch that's like twelve pounds on, it's like a hockey puck. Yeah, <laughs> like literally, <laughs> it's a hockey puck on his wrist. It's a um, uh, Garmin Phoenix watch, Phoenix uh, Two, which is a GPS sport watch. Um, pretty nice. I mean, it's big letters. I can see it. it's backlit red. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Pretty accurate GPS seems to be. Uh-huh. Um, you can plug it into the computer, use a, your mapping program on your computer, and add waypoints. Cool. So. That's nice. Nice. If that's if there's nothing else, that's it. That's okay. all I got. All right. So how Roll. do they how do they reach us? Oh. Uh, podcast at nightjournal.com is an email. You can send your emails to us. Um, you can like us on Facebook and uh, join us on uh, um, on the website, knifejournal.com. And Knife Journal Podcast is a Facebook page. Yeah. And you can like us on that page. And then don't forget to give us some uh, positive feedback on the uh, iTunes thing. Yeah, you guys have been slacking. There. Yeah. We're like, uh, I think we're what, 90, what, what episode is this, 90? Oh, I don't know. 8, 97? I can't remember. Well, we're in the high 90s here. Uh, Yeah, so don't forget us. Yeah, we will talk at you later. Okay, keep your friends sharp and your knives sharper. Uh, Bye. Bye. back another interview uh new guest he's actually a listener uh why don't you tell us who you are and and uh we'll go from there okay um well first off thanks for having me on i'm a long time listener <laughs> first time interview <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but uh i'm uh i'm my name is rick bain um I go by CM Rick uh, on internet forums, 
and uh, I have my own YouTube channel uh, known as Fox Walk Primitive. Sweet. So I met him, uh, I think I've met you before. Haven't you been at one of these before? Yes. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't spend as much time together before, uh, just cause of these things are, yeah, these are crazy. It's, uh, you know, this time there's what, almost 50 people here. Yeah. Yeah. So and it was, I got here really late last time. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard to spend a lot of time with individual people at, at these, uh, really you could interview any of the people here and, and come up with something interesting to say. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's a couple people that I really wanted to interview that I didn't get a chance to this time. Um, but, you know, that's why there's more. Yeah. So, uh, he's uh, brought something kind of neat to the Becker gatherings that I used to try to do some of, but it's kind of hard to get some people motivated. <laughs> and that's the uh, primitive skills, or uh, what Moores would call... Uh, the skills of wilderness living. Yeah, wilderness living is a fantastic name for them. Yeah. Um, survival is kind of gimmicky. It's like uh, the way I try to think of it is, uh, I don't know uh, how old you are. You're, you look a little bit younger than me. I'm 34. Yeah, so you're about, you would have lived through this. So you're you're six, eight years younger than me. But you would have been around during the 90s when everything was extreme. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a ESPN push, ex- extreme sports, X Games, all that, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it's stuff goes through, uh, through marketing things, and they try to find a word that kind of captures something and sounds exciting, and I think survival is kind of that way um it appealed to the adventurism yeah to the youth really to like right. the 20 somethings and well indestructible and people yeah and it, it, it's also a, a way of describing something that if you say one word you kind of get the idea of what it is yeah you know and it, it encompasses a lot of things but um i don't know i like the way morris talks about wilderness living more mm-hmm. um yep. so you he does all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of the stuff that Morris teaches, you do, um, and also, uh, you've actually been to a school that I've never been to. Uh, that's the Tracker School. So yep. I was just going to ask you, like, uh, so tell me about it. Like, well, um, Tracker School is—it's a really special place. Um, a lot of people don't really get what it's about and it's not about survival it's about wilderness living um it will draw any walk of life in Uh, when i was there i met lawyers accountants doctors home decorators run-of-the-mill hippies Uh uh, a couple of vagabonds come Uh in um i mean it's literally all walks of life and the biggest the biggest thing you you come to understand when you first get there and when you when you've been there is that there's one thing that'll draw pretty much everybody together and that is the wilderness mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the tone that gets set at the start and all the way through the finish it's a it's not so much a 
we're going to teach you how to beat Mother Nature and get out alive. It's not that at all. It's we're going to show you uh, where you live and where you're from. Uh One of the best quotes that you'll hear there is, uh, we're going to show you that you're not an astronaut on a foreign planet. We're going to show you that this is where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be in the dirt, in the leaves, amongst the trees, and in the rocks. Uh, we're going to take your space suit off right. and show you your home planet. And cool. that they will do. Yeah. And how many... I know they probably offer different lengths of courses and things. Like, um, what's the one that you, you... You may have even gone on more than one, but just... What's the length? Uh, there, well, when you start, uh, you have to take the standard course. That's the prerequisite for everything else. And basically, you have to take the standard course... So you can actually physically make it through the rest. Mm-hmm. So those are that's the course that they teach you the basics. That one's a week long. Uh, you get there on Saturday. You set up camp. And you start Sunday through Friday. And you leave the following Saturday. Okay. Uh, and after that, uh, depending on the class that you take and the area of study... You're looking at another week-long class uh, to four days. Okay. And they, I, I'm assuming they, they cover stuff like, uh, uh, a typical course would cover um, shelter, fire making, water, f- food, navigation, uh, wild edibles. Yeah. Uh, um, and basically how to, how to not do stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the standard course is designed around the survival tree, uh, which is the four primary shelter, water, fire, food in that order. Yeah. Um, each day through there, uh, you'll be presented a lesson more or less like you would be in the very beginning of a survival situation. Um, your food is very crude. It's very cold. <laughs> it's very raw. Um, but toward the end of the week, as you're learning more and more skills, uh, your your menu uh, becomes quite nice. And uh, there's a gentleman there that goes by the name of Jorge, can literally turn the woods into a gourmet chef kitchen. Wow. It's it's amazing. It's something to behold. Uh, when I finished that standard course and I spoke with some survival class instructors, they the, I asked them if I could help and teach with them. They wanted to put me in advanced skills because they throw so much at you at the standard course at tracker school. Uh-huh. It's it's a lot. I filled up a uh, five-subject notebook wow. in that class. It was a big deal. Yeah, they you go through all kinds of stuff, and I'm sure. And yeah, the um, a lot a lot of courses are kind of set up that way, and uh, sounds like they're teaching more or less standard stuff, good habits, and Mm-hmm. Uh, good good philosophy you know most of what i always try to say is uh you're i don't have the i didn't have the quite the way of putting it that they did that you're not an astronaut um but what i always say is like you're not out here uh fighting <laughs> you exactly know, there's, there's nothing here that's trying to kill you exactly you know uh you can be quite comfortable in the wilderness and not um, in in just about any environment once you learn a few tricks. So yeah, 
you know, like uh, the the best source whenever I'm trying to figure out a new environment is to talk to people who live there. Mm-hmm. You know, so jungle, um, obviously the people that live in the jungle are a fantastic source yeah. of info about how to be comfortable. And what I've seen, the mistakes I've seen people make where they get in get themselves into hot water is... Uh, say you go to jungle and you see everybody at a certain time of day takes a nap. There's a reason for that, mm-hmm. that they're not out in the sun, like working themselves to death in the middle of the jungle heat. Yeah. You know, and uh, just just stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just little tiny things. And I, I've uh, once or twice gotten into... Uh, a little bit of trouble <laughs> because I, uh, y- you know, I, how to put it without hurting anybody's feelings. Um, I have been in situations where there have been local guides and then Anglo guides. And uh, a lot of times the local guides are the ones you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I don't know. I, I've always kind of paid more attention to that more so than people like me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't, before I went there and did a bunch of stuff, like, you know, I don't really, you don't really know. Yeah, you know? no, you don't. Yeah. And I think you were being really generous when you said a lot of times you, the local guys are the guys to listen to. I, I'm... I'm a little bit more bold as to say it's every time. Well, okay. You you want to listen to your local guy. Well, right. And so, you know, I, I kind of have to be careful what I say because there's a lot of people that make their living. Oh, yeah. 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 And they, you know, it's not. But, like, on that, though, the better schools are the guys that let their local guys do the bulk of the education. Yeah. Um, I'm going to cut this part out real quick. So we're back real quick. Uh, You know, and then so each, the other thing I would say is that each environment and each type of place you're going, uh, yes, you're supposed to be there, but it has some different rules. Like uh, desert is very, very different from alpine. Oh, yeah. Is very, very different from smoky mountains, is different from plains, although... You know, they all have some things in common, and if you are smart about it, you can um, probably be okay. Um, yeah. You it, know. The, the smart part is, is just learning to read the land. Yeah. And, and what, like you mentioned, asking local people, um, one of the things you'll pick up from tracker school is there's an awful lot of survival lessons can be learned from watching the wildlife. Yeah. You will learn where the water is at just by watching the wildlife. Yep, birds at certain times are. of day, yeah. and where tracks are converging, and yep, and those sorts of things. Those those are things you you pick up on um, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, you know if and you're if you're smart about it. You mentioned tracks converging. That was what drew me to tracker school. Okay, uh, to start with was to study tracking because that's what piqued my interest when I got there. I could have cared less about primitive skills. I didn't want to learn it. I just wanted to learn tracking. But sitting down with, you know, some of the some of the the more senior students there, 
and the instructors, and especially Tom, uh, opened my eyes to tracking is just another one of those tools. Yeah. You, it's really a marriage of all of them mixed together. And tracking is a big deal. And that is something that I, I find lacking in everyone's survival education. It's not just one school does it a little more than the other. It's just it lacks tremendously. Yeah. And I really, it, it astounds me, pro- probably because I just chose to go to tractor school. Yeah. Well, they, they definitely, uh, from what it sounds like, and I haven't been there, but they do, um, there's one school that I would say does a, a really fantastic job of that, but they don't. It, it, they emphasize it as one skill and not the only one, and that would be Boulder Outdoor Survival School. Mm-hmm. That's that's more desert focused. Um, uh, but uh, you know, again, uh, with with the desert survival, there may be one water hole <laughs> in uh, 50 miles. Yeah. You know, and if you don't know where it is, you better ask someone. And if you can't ask someone, then you better be able to follow some tracks to where it is or watch where the birds are flying or yeah. pay attention to what the bugs are doing. Because if there's bugs, there's water somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. And, and they, they show you how to find all of that and all those sorts of things. But Vegetation. Vegetation, yeah, watching. And it's really, really obvious in deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, once you know what to look for. Yes. You know, but if you if you're not clued in on that and you don't pay attention to what you're what's sitting right before you, then you can really get in trouble really really fast. Especially if you're trying to move during the day mm-hmm. and do a lot of hard work during the day, and they actually take you out and make you do that so that you understand. Yeah. And they do it, you know, in an area where they know there's water close by, and they watch everybody. And one of the rules they had was. Uh, you don't get to wear sunglasses because mm. one of the one of the first things with uh, people, and I've seen this over and over and over again. Uh, you know, I'm in medicine, and then once I have I've been a, a part of different um, expeditions, and I've also been a, a part of a couple different survival schools, and. What I'm doing is I'm watching people's eyes because you can tell when there's a spark that leaves them when they are getting near the edge and about to get into some trouble. Yeah. And and, uh, that's another thing I got into trouble for one time on a certain course was I said, um, can, and we, they were stupidly pushing people to do heavy, heavy labor in the middle of the day in, uh, you know, very close to the equator in the hottest frickin' humidest frickin' weather that's, that you can possibly do. And I'm like... That's irresponsible. Can, right. Can people please... Can I please ask people to take their sunglasses off? Why would you want to do that, you know? It's like, well, because I can see in their eyes when they're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. And guess who was the stupid person there? me yeah and and so you know everybody kept wearing their sunglasses but you know every single time that i was involved with that particular group somebody fell out and had a problem you know yeah and it was always heat related during that particular kind of monkey business yeah 
So anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, What's interesting is uh, you can go to a school like Tracker School, and where you said the spark in their eye. Yeah. The the time where they're going from enlightenment to uh, confusion and fear. Yeah. Uh, Tom will show you how to read that in a track. Oh, okay. And it's it's pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah. You know, I'm not as sophisticated of a tracker as I could be. I can track an animal that I've shot. <laughs> and uh, I always watch the... Uh, whenever I'm walking through the woods, I'm always looking... This has been something I've done since I was a little kid. You know, I always see what animals are moving through the area and where they're going. Yeah. And uh, especially now that I have my own woods, I like to know what's up there mm-hmm. and what they're doing. And Definitely. if I if I'm not seeing a lot of uh, deer tracks, then I'm not going to hunt deer that year. You know, exactly. Because I don't need to kill a deer. I kind of want my population to be nice and healthy and big. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, tracks are fun to watch and just seeing. You know, knowing what's there with you is, yeah. is is helpful a lot of times. Yeah, that's 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 what drew me into it. I was hiking with my son, and he was just a toddler. He might have been two, and uh, he pointed at a footprint. And at the time, you know, I couldn't tell him whether it was a domesticated dog or a coyote. Um, yeah. And well, definitely I can now, and so can he. Yeah. But uh, it got my interest. Yeah. And ever since that moment. I've done a lot of staring at the ground. Yeah. And I've learned quite a bit. There's still so much to learn. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially, you know, different animals in different parts of the world. and. Well, it's you know. when, when, you, when you learn about tracking, you learn about what's called pressure releases. Okay. And it doesn't matter what the species is. It doesn't matter how big it is, how young it is, how old it is. Learning how to read the pressure releases in a track is what will tell you everything you need to know. Um that is what will take a lifetime to learn because uh, studying the the teachings of Lapani Apache, which is what Tracker School is based on, uh, there's over 5,000 pressure releases to learn how to read. And it's literally like learning how to read words in a sentence. Hmm. Only these words are... Like learning to read uh, Shrillic. Okay. Without anybody telling you how to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just completely different from anything you've ever been indoctrinated with. Yeah. And it's fascinating to know that these are this is what ancient peoples uh, read. This is what they literally read in the earth. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Every every track every trail is the story of something's life. And you'll learn at Tracker School the final piece, or the final lesson of the story, is finding the skull. Huh. And if you go, you'll you'll find out what that means. Yeah. Well, I, d- I don't know if I'll necessarily have time to go, but it it, it would be something I'd be interested in seeing at some point. Um, the uh, like I said, my tracking knowledge is not near that sophisticated, but I can tell you what animals are there. And uh, throughout the year, uh, you know, I, I watch my property pretty closely, and I kind of watch, you know, the surrounding area. I can tell you where where the deer are moving at different times of the day, mm-hmm. and you know what 
what different animals are doing. And the other thing I always pay attention to is the birds in the area. Oh, yeah. Like, I've gotten really good at recognizing bird calls. Yeah. And uh, so I know what what birds are in my forest, when to expect them, and, uh, you know, what, what that means if you hear a certain song from a white-throated sparrow. Like, what's, what's going on with... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it spring? Is it fall? Is it, you know, so I'm not super sophisticated, but... Is you know, the neighbor's cat coming through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue yeah. Jays go crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they teach that at tracker school. Huh. And that is known as the concept of the concentric rings. Uh, but what you'll learn is they're more like concentric spheres. That imagine your foot is the pebble and the forest is the pond. As soon as your foot touches the forest, it sends ripples. Yeah. And every living thing in the forest is going to react. And every time you do it, you're pushing those ripples farther and farther. Yeah, they definitely know that you're there Mm -hmm. way before you know they're there. Definitely. And they're not shy to tell their friends that you're around. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, if you guys are ever walking through the woods and you hear a bunch of blue jays, it sounds like... uh, Thief, 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 like that is kind of the way when I hear it, that's always what I think uh, from these kids' books, uh, Sammy Jay and something else. But uh, anytime you hear a blue jay start piping off with this one particular call, you know that something's in the woods that the blue jay's concerned about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And crows. They're, oh, crows, yeah. They love to complain about your presence. Yeah. Yeah, I like, uh, well, and crows and turkeys don't like each other very much. No, they don't. Yeah, so if you hear a, uh, one way to see it, if there's any turkeys in your area, is to imitate a crow. So a lot of, that's a way a lot of turkey hunters, you probably know this, but if you pipe off with a crow call, if there are turkeys in the area, you pipe off with that crow call, the turkeys will gobble. So you'll be able to tell they're there. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that, but I... Again, my knowledge isn't super sophisticated in that, but it's cool that somebody's out there teaching it anyway. It's yeah, it's that's that's used to be the uh, direct passion of tracker school, and, and Tom's biggest legacy was pushing the skills. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays he's turned. Of course, he's he's a little bit more up in age, and he's thinking a little bit differently. And his big push now, of course, is philosophy and and teaching about grandfathers. Uh, philosophies and visions and things like that. And those I'll leave alone. Um, if you really want to know about those, no one's the authority. You you have to go to Tom for that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's um, the, the one thing uh, that uh, I would say is that uh, you kind of have to be somewhat careful what you talk about with some of the tom brown tracker stuff you yeah because there's and, and and you know like here's 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 an example like tonight uh and this isn't to do with tom brown but it's to do with these sorts of gatherings well i know this one guy uh that has gone to a bunch of these gatherings and has had some issues at some of the gatherings uh and chance sanders if you're listening uh it's this guy that's a nice knife. I like that knife. Yee! So, um, that guy, like, nicest guy in the world, but, like, uh, some stories have spread about him 
And the more times that story gets spread, the less... Like tonight, I was at a particular event that this guy was at, and I witnessed everything, and the story that somebody was retelling bore very little relation to actually what happened. Mm. You know, so this is why I'm saying with, with a lot of the... I think some of that happens with the Tom Brown stuff, too. Yeah. So, and so I, I don't really want to go too far into that because I, I don't want to be the guy that is spreading BS. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. There's there's certain things that uh, even, even with, you know, with what I teach that I just don't, I don't venture toward. Um, it's not my place to do it. Um, and... Like you say, things get twisted and turned around and retold, and they end up being stretched so far from the truth of what it was. Yeah, it's more harm than good. Well, and then and then the other thing too is you got to consider the source sometimes because you know there's there's all these guys out there trying to make a living teaching survival, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll pick one little thing and they'll use that one little thing as a sledgehammer, you know, and it's, I don't think it's really fair because from what I know, you know, I've known some of Tom Brown's students, actually quite a few of them, and they all seem to be pretty well squared away, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know, take that for what it's worth. So, um, we learn stuff while we're there. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the yeah, easiest and, way to put it. Yeah, and the, and the main the main thing is is like just getting out there. You know how many people would like kill to have the opportunity to go out in the woods and be comfortable. You know, I don't even think enough people are aware that you can be that comfortable. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, you you think it's an embellishment, but no, you 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 literally get to the point where any wilderness becomes just as comfortable as your bedroom. And yeah. that's more comfortable than your living room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, you know, that's the point is once you get the, and I've said this, uh, this is one of the reasons why for different environments, if I know I'm going to be doing something there for any kind of period of time where I'm well away from civilization, I try to get some training from people who are experts in that particular environment. Yeah. You know, because there are tricks there are tricks to jungle where you can be as comfortable there as you are in your bedroom. Same thing with desert, same thing with smoky mountains, same thing with arctic, with alpine, with all of that. You can be as happy as a duck in water if you just know a few little things, you know. And the truth of that is there are people that live there right now. Yeah. And they're they're doing quite well. They really don't need our help. And they're very happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're tremendously happy. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the the you know the same way of looking at stuff as we do a lot of times but and that's fine yeah it's yeah yeah uh what else should we talk about well i don't know if you want to but being the subject has been tracker school i'm kind of surprised we haven't brought up the tracker knife oh jim and i talk about that a lot so um Long-time listeners to the podcast will recognize that several years ago, uh, I kind of started looking at the design and saying, you know, this is like it or not, uh, you can make the you can make any knife work. 
Like, once you get to yes. a certain level of skill, you can take a sharpened tin can lid and use that, or you can bang two rocks together and use... A, if you can walk through a stream bed and find the right kind of rock, mm-hmm. which is easy to do once you know how to do it, you don't even need a knife. Yeah. Right? A knife just makes it more fun and well, uh, easier. Yeah. Yeah, definitely easier. But, uh, so, the, the reason I... I, again, I, I'm not shilling for Tom Brown because I've never been to his school and, and he's not, I don't make any money from the Tom Brown tracker, but one of the reasons I like the knife, and I've said this over and over again, is that it, I think it is a classic American design. Uh, and I think that, and back when I said this, there were very few people making variations of the tracker. Mm-hmm. I think uh, TM Hunt was one of the few people at the time making a variation at least that was on my radar uh obviously the the beck version um was a a big huge big huge inspiration for a lot of the tracker style designs yeah and and back then there was no such thing as a tracker folder go on instagram now and look at all of the knives that are folding knives that look like little mini trackers so from a from a knife design standpoint, I like it because I think that eventually every single maker is going to have some variation of that. And and so far, I made that prediction of you know several years ago, and people told me I was crazy. And so far, everything I have said has come true. Well, I agree in the fact that uh, the tracker is commonly known as the WSK, yeah, the Wilderness Survival Knife. Yeah, and to me. Uh, this, at this day, that is, that's not a one knife designation. To me, that's a class now. Yeah. There is a class of WSKs. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned a maker that has a fantastic design that falls into that category. Uh, you know, Todd and TM Hunt. Yeah. Uh, his M18 is a WSK. Yeah. It's not the WSK. It's, it's a, a variation WSK. of it. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's some others out there. Uh, Habilis bush tool comes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 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 so many like I I couldn't possibly list them all. And uh, the, the customs, I mean, yeah. the, the possibilities are endless with yeah. all the custom makers out there. Yeah, and I I just think that you know the the my personal thing on it was uh, I didn't I wasn't particularly fond of the handle that showed up on the tops version of it you know mm. so and again it's it's to each their own it, you know it, it, there's there's not one way to like something you know yeah. and so uh you know and there were there were some other things that i thought it, it made more sense to have um a scandy grind next to the handle and a convex grind out towards the tip because if you're using the the, the tip area as an axe, shouldn't it look like an axe and perform like one? And then if you're using if you're going to do a lot of kind of carving tasks and you want to scan the edge for that, you kind of want it next to the handle, yeah. where you're going to be able to have more control. Then the other thing I never really got, and th- these are all just my personal opinion, and there's not a right or wrong answer here, so. You know, if people disagree 100%, that's fine. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, but like, if you're going to use the the mid uh, the portion next to the handle as a draw knife, 
where do you put your hands if there's saw teeth <laughs> yeah. where you're supposed to put your hand, you yeah. know? So, I mean, there's just little things like that that, that for me, using it made more sense to me. Um, but, you know, I'm not the guy well, that invented the knife. It, and, when I tell you about the anvil, the quote anvil, and what that's actually for, you're, where you mention about putting your hands on the teeth of the saw, uh, you're going to be kind of kind of taken back. It's just for notches, right? The saw? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's not a saw, it's notching. Yeah, it's it just yeah, I, I understand that, but the No, the no, the 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 recess there before the saw that a lot of people think is a baton anvil. Yeah. That is that's not what that's for. That uh that recess is actually to turn the knife over and lay hide over a tree branch and scrape it clean. Oh, yeah, that part. But then but then the, uh, but then you know you're putting your hand on the blade, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, so there are, there are some there are some ergo, ergo issues that yeah, it, it's very difficult to get one thing that is gonna do everything. I think I think there's a design modified to the way that you're gonna actually use it is great, mm-hmm. and and the, this is one of the things that I like so much about that particular idea is uh it's infinitely customizable yes um you know. uh, for instance um I've, I've got a lot of experience with that knife and i've got the tops the t1 tops first yeah um coincidentally um i'm a bigger fan of the red scorpion 6 blade profile uh and i'm a huge fan of the profile of the tops handle I okay. don't care for the slabs, the scales that are on the tops knife. Yeah. Um, definitely, you know, make your own and make your ergonomics for your hands because it needs ergos. Yeah. Uh, but the Red Scorpion 6 blade and the geometry on that blade are far superior to any of the other models that's been made. I'll have to look at it. Um, I, and I, I definitely I suggest one. if you get the tops, find a skilled grinder yeah, like right. Kyle. And uh, have them hollow out the uh, draw knife portion. You you want a hollow grind there? You want a hollow grind there. See, I I made some that way. Um, but I found myself uh, using that portion more for um, for a, a choke up point for fine carving. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I I liked a, a, a Scandi grind there more. The, so the hollow thick, grind is though. nice, yeah. But I, I don't know. Again, we're we're splitting hairs. <laughs> like we're talking about we're we're talking about how am I likely to use the knife? So these are yeah. things that I like on it. I I made a bunch. I made some with a hollow grind there, right? So I like that too. You know, it, there's not like a right or wrong thing You're right. for me. Yeah, yeah, it is a personal thing. Yeah, so you like a hollow there, I like a Scandi there. Um, you know, it, it whatever. But I do think that if you're going to use the the tip portion as an axe or as a as a skinner, um, it's very hard for me to imagine a better edge there than a full height convex grind. I agree. Leave, leaving weight out towards the tip and. Um, but you know, to each their own. I, I agree with that. I really do. That's that's a that would be a marvelous improvement. Yeah. 
But uh, how likely is Tops to do that? Zero. Be- uh, yeah. Be- yeah. There's there's one. It's very difficult to execute a full height convex grind on a production knife. Yeah, they use CNC to do their grinds. Yeah. So it's just not going to happen. Right. So, um, so hence the reason why um, I like customizing it. Yeah. And and you can take a a tops tracker and consider it a knife kit. <laughs> and make a really nice knife out of it. Yeah, yeah. You but, just uh, have the idea you're getting a blank. Yeah. You're, you're getting a blank and you're going to make it all your own. Yeah. Because the, you know, the the micarta and all that, that's easy enough to shape. Uh if you don't have the wherewithal to do that yourself, you can find a custom maker. I will not do that for you. <laughs> um and the reason being that uh uh Every knife company, it doesn't matter if it's the Jesus coming down from heaven or the Prophet Muhammad coming down from wherever he is in heaven or uh, the Buddha knife company, right? Take whoever is the infallible being. If he does a run of a hundred knives, there's going to be one of them in there that the heat treat is a little off. Oh, well, yeah, it's inevitable. So... So, so you take a custom knife maker and you're handing him this knife and you're saying, modify this knife for me. Uh, all of that modification is done after the heat treat is done. And when I, when I have to do grinding after heat treat, I have my fingers on the blade next to the work area and it never gets hotter than warm. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so I know that I am not ruining a heat treat on a blade. I know it because my hand is there. So unless you can convince me that a knife will have the heat treat ruined by uh, your, uh, by like say just having it on your hip in the sun, or leaving it in your car for a couple minutes while you go in to buy a Slurpee at Come and Go or wherever, um, unless that's going to ruin your heat treat, then me regrinding it is not going to ruin your heat treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's a problem with the heat treat before I get it, guess whose fault it was. Yeah. So that's why I, I do not regrind other people's knives, but there are plenty of makers who would be more than happy to do that for you. Yeah. So uh, if you're lucky enough to find somebody that's close to you, um, definitely go with them. That way you yeah. can sit down person to person and, uh, especially they can help you better shape it. You know, you might even, yeah, if you, if you can make friends with a knife maker in your area, you might even be able to go in the shop when they're doing it and Mm -hmm. give them feedback right then. But don't expect them to do it for free because they like you and they love your tracker because they don't give a shit about your tracker. No, they, they like to make a living. Yeah. So, (laughs) and, uh, you have to appreciate their talent. Yeah. Cause, uh, it takes some time to develop that. But, uh. Yeah, so, you know, I've been a, a proponent of the the knife design, not any particular maker's take on it, just the knife design in general, and I've actually taken heat for that, um, and I don't care, because I, I, time is, is go on Instagram, Yeah, you will see everybody making something inspired by that knife, yeah. and eventually... This won't even be a controversial topic. It'll be like, oh, the Bowie knife, uh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody would ever make one of those. It's like, 
every custom maker makes a Bowie knife because it's a pattern that's recognizable and it's American and people like it. Oh yeah, same who doesn't deal. like a Bowie? Yeah, same uh, same deal with the tracker. The uh, that knife it catches so much heat. It does. It's either loved to no end or it's hated to the end of the earth. I mean, it's yeah. Ne- there are people that won't even pick one up. Yeah. But yet they know everything there is to know about it. Yeah. And and, and, and I've I'm actually say had this, that conversation with people. I'm going to say this for the record. Being a student and and being hands-on, not only done this for myself, but have seen the source, I have yet to see one person on any outlet on the Internet use that knife correctly and for what it's designed for. I would be willing to bet there's maybe a handful of people that comment on the internet that actually even know what those designs are for. Yeah. The facets of that knife. And I mean, it's, it's I'm not challenging anyone or calling anybody out. I'm just saying, take a little time, research it a little bit, and you may come away with a little bit more respect for the design than, than you have now. It's, yeah. It's very, very useful. It's fun. <laughs> it is fun. And besides, who doesn't like to play with a knife? Exactly. You know? What knife is, is not fun to use? Yeah. We had a very, very fun trial of one particular up here on Half Moon Ridge uh, today. That was one of the highlights of, of this gathering. Are you talking about that one with the goofy... Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to mention it by name. No, I um, don't either. Well, okay, so... <laughs> so, like... So... They handed me this knife that is kind of goofy looking, um, and I hit a log a few times with it. Um, it's not something I would make, and it's not something I would buy, but there are worse knives up here than that, <laughs> you know? Like, you can, you can get a worse knife, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you just may have to look a little harder than right. usual. Right, <laughs> yeah. There, you know, the... So, I don't know. If that's all there was, I'd probably be okay with it. Yeah. And I I know I could make that work. Because I, I played with it a little bit. I whacked around with it. It's it's not what I would do. And it's not what I would, by choice, buy or carry. But yeah. there's going to be people that love it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, that, and there yeah. already is. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's... When, like you said, when you get to a certain point in your skill level, and I and I strongly encourage any, everybody that listens to this, that is that's the point of what people like us do. Please stretch your skill set, push yourself, keep pushing yourself, and then and and you will get to that point where it really doesn't matter what you've got in your hands, you can make it work. Yeah. And, and like going to tracker school, and, and this is, you know, going back to the tracker knife, to Tom Brown, if it's not a stick or a rock, he doesn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> I mean, the the whole time I was there, he never once picked a tracker up. Huh. He would, he literally tells people, look, that knife turns wilderness living into a stay at Disney World in a Winnebago. Yeah. <laughs> he said, it's just not fair. He said, people need to learn it the hard way. Yeah. And I agree with that. But yeah. the knife is fun to play with. Yeah, I enjoy it. But uh, anyway, uh, well, thanks for coming on. Anything else you want to add? Uh, you know, maybe give me a look 
on the Facebook, or not on the Facebook, well, you can on the Facebook if you like. It's the same thing, Fox Walk Primitive, but uh, my YouTube channel, um, uh, I'm pretty proud of the progress that it's made and the direction it's going in. I'm, I'm going to be getting away from doing the, the gear reviews. Um, there's a couple that I'm doing right now that I'm very proud of. Uh, I'm doing some reviews for TM Hunt Custom Knives. Um, that'll be coming here pretty soon. Uh, but I mean, you know, maybe sad to some, but, uh, glad to a few that I am going to go away from reviews and really start focusing on, uh, teaching primitive skills. Um, cool. That's, yeah. that's the passion of mine. Yeah. You know what I use my YouTube channel for? Fun. Fun. And, uh, if I find something and I figure out how to do something and it's something I know I'm not going to be doing all the time. I want to have it on video so I can go back to my channel and remember how I did it. <laughs> so the next time I have to do it, I have so, a resource. So your channel is a note to self. <laughs> Basically. That and, that's uh, awesome. So there, that's why there's so much cooking stuff on there. Yeah. It's because uh, I'll figure out a really great way to do something. And uh, if you write it down, you'll lose it or whatever. And it, It's not the same. And video is just way better. Oh, yeah. And so... Uh, I have it. I have it as more as a as a as a guidebook for myself. <laughs> so, right. and there's all kinds of stuff on there. There's uh, if I go somewhere interesting, I'll put some stuff up on it, uh, um, or see some interesting skill, or meet some interesting people. I'll put those on there. But uh, you know, especially the knife-related stuff. The only reason I'm putting anything on there where I'm making or doing anything with knives uh, is because I'll figure something out and I don't want to forget how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because eventually you get to a point where, like uh, the other day, I was describing to someone the uh, Morris Kahansky flip-flop winch, where if you have a vehicle that's stuck somewhere and you don't have a winch and you don't have all of this, but if you have some rope, like literally you and I could put a, a uh, 10-ton truck down that embankment and put its emergency brake on, and with a flip-flop winch and strong enough rope, we could pull it up here mm -hmm. with two people, no problem. You know, without any kind of mechanical stuff or anything. And so, it's stuff like that. Like I have video of that, but I didn't put it up. <laughs> so, so I have all this video of different stuff that I need to edit. Or, uh, for instance, uh, crevasse rescue. Uh, you, you're with somebody roped into somebody and they fall down a crevasse. How do you get them out of there? So mm -hmm. I have that. I have the, I have, uh, I, I filmed dry runs of it explaining every single knot and everything that you're going to do in every position that you get in. Uh, and then I have live runs with a person up here and a person in the crevasse, each with a camera. Showing exactly what it's like on both ends of that, you know. You've got to get that posted. I know, but but like that's the and the 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 problem is is I have all this stuff that I need to do some stuff with, but I don't have as much time as I want. I wish people out there watching YouTube had uh, a little bit of understanding what goes into good video production. Yeah, it's you can't make a good video just standing in front of your camera. No. And and there there is something to be said for the talent of editing. Yeah. And it's painstaking sometimes. 
Yeah, and and you the other thing is is the you know you get all this great footage and stuff. You got to edit it and put it together. Um, and uh, the other thing is is you don't want to put out bad information. Oh man! Yeah. So before you put anything out, make sure you know it works and you've done it a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. And I, then cross reference it with other sources to yeah. make sure. Get some get some uh, peer review and cooperation. Yeah. You know, treat it like a science experiment. Yeah. Because some people are putting their lives on it. Yeah. And and if you're going to do it, consider yourself a source of information. Yep. Which is a big deal. Well, uh, one of the reasons I like uh, Morris Kahansky so much is he did that. Every single thing that you will see him do, he went to uh, most of the time to the original source. Uh, the original people that, uh, you know, that that were doing such and such a thing. Like the, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, oh, what's that pot stand called? Um, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, no, there's one There's one particular one where it, it kind of dangles and it corrects itself. I've got one on my channel. I just can't remember the By name. By the... Like this, and then it's got, you know, that, uh, that, that notch... And the the hook and yeah. it just balances on gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that's it's the. Uh, anyway, I've got it up on my channel, but like that thing, he he like went to the original source, or uh, anything that's in his book has been researched, and he can take anything in there and show you all of his source material. That's awesome. Yeah, and and so, and anytime he ever published anything, it was like legit. Yeah, and he he made sure before he ever put anything out there, and so that's the other thing I would say is if, if you're going to put something out there, know that it works. What? Yeah. Don't just don't just say, look, I know how to make a fire block. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't look in a book and learn something that you think is simple and easy, such as a knot. Yeah. And then jump in front of a camera and put a YouTube video up just because you wanted to get content. Yeah. Uh. That's that's not good practice. That's not good ethic. That's not good for people. Yeah. Um, those can be important. Very important. And uh, speaking of Moors, uh, this just happened recently. Um, for anybody in the industry, I'm kind of timid. I'm not. I'm not very. I don't really push myself. Uh, or uh, I don't know. Push myself was the worst. I don't really. Uh, I'm not the type of person to invite myself along. Um, I kind of reserve back and kind of wait for an earned invite. Kind of, that's how I see it. And I was taken back because earlier in the week, Moore's friended me on Facebook. That's cool. And I don't, I don't know if that means anything, but it meant a lot to me. Yeah. It kind of blew me away a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I felt for a minute too big for my britches. <laughs> there you go. It's the Burtonsville rig. Burtonsville rig. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy at, the, at this gathering that made the notch for that. Oh. And he demonstrated on his fingertip. Yeah. And he got it right. The balance was actually right. Yeah. There's there's tricks. I, I have a video up that shows the little tricks. The other one I really like that uh, I learned is the from him is the Ojibwe bird snare. Mm. I, I, have a, I have a video up on that. And I've actually tested that ad nauseum. It works great. Uh, and it, it, you, you catch them. Uh, and they live. So you, you know, I'm not advocating that you do this because it's probably illegal where you live to trap a bird. 
Yeah. But the the information is out there if you ever wanted to see it. It's really it's really fun and neat. It's it's a it's again it's it's more it's not that you're going to trap a bird. It's that you know how to make the thing and that you develop the knife skills to be able to do it. Yeah, and they're intricate. And those so like those uh, tri sticks that you guys made earlier today. Yeah. Those that's why you're doing it. Oh yeah. Because there's yeah. there's little little tricks like that that. Um, if you know how to carve like this particular kind of notch, then you can make a Burtonsville rig. Or if you know how to put a square hole through a flat spot that you carved on a stick, then you can make an Ojibwe bird snare. Yeah. You know, so there's there's a reason for all of those little notches um, that will help you do cool stuff and fun stuff. Yeah, and in the hugely popular figure four. Yeah, that yeah. has at least two. Yeah, or three those, actually three. Yeah, those those actually work. They do. Uh, if you and set them in the right spot and you set enough of them. <laughs> and the better your knife skills, the better the trap because you want them that sensitive. Yeah. To where it would take just the whisper of a squirrel. Yeah. Because they're always the ones that think, I can beat it. And they don't. Not when you make them right. <laughs> well, right. And then and then the other thing is is the what what you what you were saying. And I we actually did this in one of my videos. Uh, you If you look around... And you see where the animals are and why they would be there. Mm-hmm. You know where to put your trap. Yep. Like uh, the one time uh, I made a non-lethal one. Uh, one just more to make a, a noise to, to try to scare something. Mm-hmm. But we put it uh, in a spot where there were berries and marmot crap. And I said, so look at, look at like if you wanted to eat that marmot, here's where you'd put the trap. So let's yeah. build a trap. And we're going to make it just so it kind of frightens it. Came the next morning and the trap was set off. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. the, the stuff really does work. It's more where you put the trap. And that's a whole other thing. It, that's that's the that's the joy of teaching people that, is that there are literal signs pointing, put it here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put it anywhere else. Put it right here. Yeah. And, and once you learn that stuff, yeah, it's 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 really fun. Well, and then the other thing you got to remember is number one, you got to set a bunch of them. Oh yeah, one won't do. And number two, uh, it's okay to reuse your traps. So carve it really well one time, and then carry it with you to the yeah, next location. Definitely. So uh, definitely. Anyway, awesome. We should do this again. Yeah, for maybe sure. maybe in one year exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> from probably. right now. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, so today, here with uh, Corey Murphy and Mr. T.M. Hunt of T.M. Hunt Custom Knives. Uh, been on the podcast before, but it's been about a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty probably, close. Pretty yeah. close, too, yeah. That's about right. Yeah. Probably last time we was up here, actually. Yeah? Yeah? So what's new? Uh, same thing, uh, just a lot more of it. Yeah? So, um... M18s. Yeah, I've been, uh, been working on new, um, M18s, kind of, uh, more of a, I don't want to say, uh, What's the term I'm looking not for? Not a mid tech or not a mid tech, but, a, uh, but something, something to streamline us. Exactly. Yeah. 
We've uh, got a lot more requests for them, and uh, the only qualm that we've ever heard from people is, of, of course, the cost. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is these are handmade one at a time. You know, they're, yeah. not, they're not something that's stopped. Uh, but we, we took on a couple of different things, and we invested a good piece of money in trying to uh, uh, figure out what we could do to... Uh, get the price point down a little bit and try to speed up our production and not uh, sacrifice any kind of quality. So right. uh, one of the things we did was we actually – have you got a chance to check one out yet, Kyle? Not the new ones, no. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I've got two of them up here on top of the hill. Sweet, yeah. Um, and uh, we uh, we started getting some pre-made uh, handles from LMF Joe. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Snarsky. I've, yeah, I've heard the name. I, I don't I don't think I've met him yet. He does but. a lot of handle work for uh, okay. SE Beckers on the side, not obviously officially, but yeah. Okay. And yeah. as as anal as I am about my handles, he was, uh, you know, I, we we took him on, and he the first time we hit him up, actually Murph met him first and and hit him up on, and he's like, man, I just. I don't know that I can do the kind of quantities that you got because he's, you know, he does this on the side. It's not a full-time yeah. gig for him. Um, we would prefer working with people like that, you know, because um, this wasn't a full-time, you know, this this was a They're hobby for us. On us. You know? but yeah. So uh, he finally, we went down and did uh, a thing for USA Made Blade during their open house. We we went down there and and he was there and we kind of talked to him again. He's like, you know. I, I think I want to do this. So uh, I made him a set uh, of the exact contours that I wanted uh -huh. and sent him down there, and he made a mold off of my actual contours so the contours still stay the same, but we bolt the handles on these. So what we're offering now is a standard model and the custom model. Yeah. We're just trying to, you know. Uh, and with, with that coupled with uh, I bought me a new leather sewing machine. Oh, cool. And... Uh, once I finally got it figured out as far as the timing and everything, uh, used to hand stitch all the M18 sheaths, and one of them would literally take me an hour and a half to two hours, depending on. And now we do the stitching almost flawlessly in about 40 seconds. They're, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Man, that sewing machine's amazing. And they're real finicky, like real, t I mean, like German engineering type stuff. Like if you take it out of its perfect setting. It's going to give you fits. Yeah. But it's nice, and it uh, well, cut a lot of time down. Yeah, the beauty of it was they're actually made two hours from our house. So oh, wow. Automatically, I said, man, road trip, let's go. So me and Murph and, and Alan, uh, we went down to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and, and the beauty of it was uh, we talked to the guy in a pretty laid-back shop. And it was really Excellent cool. customer service, very welcoming. He said, pick one out, man. We'll set it up. So we picked one out, and we set it up, and basically he got it out of the box and was sewing like a, I mean, this thing was like a Swiss timepiece, and just I was like, well, shit, that is easy, you know? Yeah. So we took it home, and we could not, you know, two-hour drive home, we could not get it to sew a quarter of an inch. Huh. And basically come to find out that all of the, the settings on it, uh, they don't have locking nuts on them, and oh. they they have to be precise. So after about four days of almost throwing it in my pond, which I would have done had I not had the investment in it, we finally got it figured out. I put locking screws on it and marked them, and, and it's been 
sewing flawlessly ever since, and it just cuts down an amazing amount of time for us. Sweet. Yeah, so you, it's uh, had a jump in popularity. Uh, it did get some uh, television time, did it not, the M18? Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's been a while ago, actually, too. Now, uh, uh, the Naked and Afraid bunch, it actually, it went twice... Uh, how that works is the producers kind of get the, the overall say of what goes and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, if any uh, a guy by the name of E.J. Snyder, they call him the Skull Crusher. He was actually <laughs> the first guy uh, that took it, uh, but they didn't allow him to take it with him because they thought it was a little bit more... How did, how did they word that? I think they thought it was a bit more than if, you know, because the way it works is if somebody falls out, the other person continues on as long as they can. Yeah. And the female that was with him was uh, Laura Zara, Zara? Yeah. I don't know. Pretty capable chick, but uh, I think they were worried that she couldn't heft that thing as needed that long if she had to. Okay. So they made the call to let her take her knife, and then he took his fire starter instead of the other way around. Okay. But what became of that is uh, EJ was a big supporter of that knife for a long time, and actually... Uh, went and took things based off of that and some things off of his military career and uh, came up with uh, the design, the uh, SBX made yeah. by Tops? Uh, no, SXB. Ec- SXB. Skull Crusher yeah. Extreme Boat. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, EJ. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so, and he also became uh, part of the... Uh, advisory the advisory crew for that so like he's like their unofficial father figure for people coming new into it so he kind of guides them helps them out with equipment things they might look forward to or need to worry about so enter a young zach buck that uh talked to uh ej and he suggested the m18 and he got a hold of me and long story short i sent him one and and he got it on the show it was the uh, edge of madness guyana yep guyana and uh, he, his partner ended up tapping out on him uh, just a couple days into it. And four he, days, I think, wasn't it? Four days, yeah. I believe, and he did the whole thing with nothing but uh, what God gave him and an M18. So nice. It was, uh, it was fun. We actually got invited to the showing in St. Louis where he lives, and Murphy and I went up there. And, we couldn't turn that down. Yeah, we couldn't turn that down. We had a really good time. <laughs> really good time. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are trying to ramp up the production but still keep the quality which is good thing right yeah and then still offer you probably still offer it as a full-on custom oh absolutely absolutely. yeah yeah Yeah. anything's available full-on custom um and i eventually want to do this with all of all of the knives and i say all the knives all the knives that the workhorse the workhorse line that i'm kind of known for you know i i want to i want to offer it both ways like with the yuma and the trade water um uh, the Magua. Uh, killing the Hornet. Uh, yeah, I want to kill the Hornet. Uh, so if you guys see Hornets and you want them, might want to get them now. <laughs> yeah, they're on the uh, Because I would have quit making them a year ago if I if Murph hadn't been riding my horns on that one. But I think I have two of those. Do you have two of those? They're yeah, you were probably one of my first customers of yeah, them, actually. I have, uh, so I have a pink-handled one, and then I have a... I think a green handled one, and the pink's for my wife, and then mine is the green one. I remember sure. you got one for Gretchen, huh? Yeah, and then I bought the M18 number six. Number time. six. How's I, that doing? It's perfect. I've used it all over the place. 
I just ground and heat treated my 100th. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and my goal this year with, with how I'm doing it now, our, our goal this year is to sell a hundred of them this year. Uh, and we've already, uh, you know, USA Made Blades have been a big supporter of us. And fortunately for us, man, they've been selling everything we can send them, which thank you guys for that. Everybody that's listening and everybody that supported us. But, uh, um, We've already sold uh, 20, I think at the beginning of the year, I had just uh, ground number 70. Okay. So right now I've got uh, got them ground and heat treated all through 107. So okay. And they're, they're spoken for and with the blade coming up. So I think we're going to hit the 100 this year. Yeah, especially if you get them finished in time for blade. That's always the issue. Yeah, it? we usually take... I usually take five or six of them at Blade every year. I think we're going to up that a little bit. I think we're going to have maybe, hopefully, close to ten of them. And so we've already had people call and say they're going to come and get them. You know how that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People say things. And, right. Yeah. So we're we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of that kind of stuff helps. Yeah. You know, I mean, get everything out. I mean, just just broadcasting that out before you go to Blade. I mean. That gets a lot more people looking for you or realizing that, oh, they're there. Those are the guys I've been seeing drunk and their shenanigans all year, and now they're actually going to be there. And We're actually going to we'll do something. stay yeah. sober. There. Yeah. But. Yeah. Stay away from the pit. <laughs> no, go to the pit. Go to the pit. <laughs> yeah. Just stay away from the pit if you're faint of heart or have a pacemaker. <laughs> right. Go yeah. to the pit. Just take your aspirin. Yeah. And your rubber boots yep <laughs> so uh you got any what else you got any any new stuff coming down the pike i mean obviously you got your workhorse stuff and you do custom work yeah um one thing that we started offering i i'm i'm doing something right now that i told myself i would never do uh and that's offering kydex yeah um and I have nothing against Kydex. It has its place, and people love it, and I like it for the certain application, but there's just so many talented Kydex benders out there that I didn't want to, I've, you know, I've got enough stuff to do, so yeah. I, I didn't want to, to dabble into that market. Um, what's it been now, Murph? Probably about maybe six months ago now. Murph just uh, happened on a, on a chance uh, random meeting with a, a young fella, uh, at the pizza shop, and they got to talking about this and that. And well, it's not just a pizza shop. They sell good craft beer, so that's why oh, I was okay. there. But <laughs> the guy was there eating with his wife and yeah. kind of struck up a conversation about what ham- hammocking, I think, is what hammocking. it was. Hammocking. I wasn't there. So. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It turned into gear and yeah. what he's got on him, you know, just daily carry stuff. And we just kind of BSed. And, of course, his wife's looking on like nerds. Nerds. <laughs> that's all she kept thinking. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we all get at times with that. And, uh, and yeah, he kind of talked to him about he expressed an interest in knife making and the whole craft and i said we'll stop by you know sometime and i think he got a hold of you didn't he on he got Facebook. a hold of me and uh i had had people ask about apprenticeships before and uh, that's kind of a strange thing because people under uh, you know 
the past ones that I've had before ask, when they find out that it's actually really nasty and dirty and crappy work and you're not going to really get paid for it, they all duck out, you know. <laughs> so, Most of them. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of, I, I don't want to say I wasn't annoyed, but I thought, you know, listen, I'm not going to bring this guy over here and have him take up my day to figure out. So I'm just going to give him a list of shit right now. Hey, listen, here's the rules. And, uh, you know, I, I was I was pretty uh, straightforward with him. I didn't I didn't want to have any premonition of something or promises that I couldn't make him or whatever. And and he agreed to it. He came over and Murph and I kind of gave him the hazing. And, you know, you kind of got to be thick skinned at our shop a little bit. Yeah. And uh, we liked him immediately. And, and the thing of it was, you know, I've ne- like I said, I've never done the Kydex. I've got some of the equipment there. Actually, Murph bought some of the equipment years ago that's set under... Uh, a half inch of dust. The very first M18 sheath was that. Yeah. Yours was. No, yeah. you did your own, yeah. Well, I, I have an M18 sheath that you guys actually did. Yeah, that was done on that. Was it a leather or a Kydex? It was Kydex. Oh, yeah, that's that was a rare bird the there. Did, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a, and it's stamped with uh, M18 on it. I okay. kept it. Yep. I still have it. All right, that's yep. a rare bird there. Yes, we only did like, what, half a dozen of those maybe? If that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he expressed an interest in it, and he's like, well, you know, do you, do you, how come you don't do Kydex? And I basically explained exactly what I did. He's like, well, do you care if I try it? Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, I i don't want to, as far as, like, apprentices, I don't want to manufacture, uh, I don't want a, a TM hunt mill, you know. I, I don't want people want to, to make be, copycats. Right. I, I want... I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. What, what my ultimate goal is, I want to employ a small group of craftsmen that each have their own skill and talent. Kind of like uh, you play music, you know. Yeah. It's not, it's not one person that gives you the great product. It's a mixture of everybody contributing with their own skills and talents, and that's that's what I'm after here. And and uh, he's he's done well with it, uh, and we've just let him. Uh, we gave him a little corner of the shop and invested a little bit of money. Gave him a vacuum forming press and oh wow, uh, that's 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 awesome. Well, I tell you what, and what we haven't really even uh, told anybody is uh, he's making uh, some fantastic gun holsters too. Oh, cool! And uh, lo and behold, he's also found buyers for it. We're already doing uh, business with uh, two of the local gun shops. Mm. And uh, so, you know, it's been a good thing. He's uh, he's coming along pretty well. We're glad to have him. And like I said, it's something else that I can offer. I'm right there so I can overlook the quality, make sure it's something that we're up to. And, and uh, it gives me more time to actually work on the knives. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a pretty good thing. Cool. Uh, as, far as, as far as new models, man, I... There's, I've got so many ideas in my head. Murph's got tons of ideas. The bad thing is there's just not enough time in the day. You there, to keep up with everything you need to there do. There are a lot of things we're going to do. I, I will say it here, so if it doesn't happen, I'm the only one to blame. But I will make folders. Oh, wow. I, I've already got the designs. I've already got, uh, you know, but... My mind works about five years in advance. I'm doing now what I wanted to do, you know. So I'll catch up to it. Um, but as far as immediate things, uh, I redesigned the M9. It's going to come back out. Cool. Um, and it's not as frustrating to make. It's not as frustrating <laughs> to make. Uh, and for what, you know, 
that's kind of an odd bird too, but it seems to have a certain niche of people that just love it. Yeah. Every time um, one pops up, somebody wants another one. Yeah. And it just it trickles down, but it takes it takes a while, but they finally get out there. So we've been experimenting in a lot of different steels too, which has been interesting. We got Fox Walks knife. Fox Walks knife. Have you checked that out? Uh-huh. This little necker. Uh, Rick Bain. Yeah, yeah. Had that little yeah. necker package. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool deal. Um, hopefully, that can be part of a lineup maybe at some point. Yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun to make, and um, I've made a lot of, uh, well, actually, I've made all of Rick's uh, prototypes and his designs. I like working with Rick because he kind of, you know, gives me what he has in mind, and then he says, you know, just just put your stink on it. Then. Yeah. Well, and he's got the skill set to back up and know what he's getting and then trust us to adjust things that, I don't know, not aren't aren't going to be uh, detrimental to his design and his needs, but I guess enhance the knife. Absolutely, yeah. It down. yeah. And uh, Rick's just a super guy to work with, and I've got a stack of stuff uh, to do for him, and I'm trying to get it out as as fast as I can. I was able to get to get one up here to him this weekend. He seems pretty happy with it. You, you need to check it out because uh, yeah, uh, the the sheath was actually a. a uh, the masterful piece on that. He wanted leather. He's like, okay. I, I want leather, but I want form Tied and function. Oh yeah, it's yeah. the yeah I, saw, yeah. I actually saw that. That is really cool. Yeah, and the fire starter idea was actually uh, Alan wanted to figure that out. What we did was we we uh, took the, a quarter inch rod and taped it to the blade, vacuum formed the, the kydex, and then cut it out to rough shape. And then I ta- I took uh, an adhesive and covered it with it. And then cased leather, wrapped it over that like a burrito, and then put it back in the vacuum former. Yeah. Until the the glue set. Cool. And then that handy dandy leather sewing machine sews through Kydex and everything to keep the oh, retention. Wow. We just ran a bead of sew through there, and uh, we're really happy. The cool thing about it is he has the retention of Kydex, but you look at it and it's it's leather. So. Yeah. Uh, and I always did admire the. The hybrids, if that's what you want to call them. So uh-huh. there's, uh, there's people out there doing those. Yeah. They do them really well, but it, like to figure it out ourselves was really cool. Yeah, and it's funny because, like I said, I've always liked the hybrid cheese, but I always told myself I'd never do Kydex. So it was just like uh, one of those moments where, boom, I'm looking, and I'm like, wow, that's coming out of the shop, man. That's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> nice. So, Things I never thought would happen. Things I never thought would happen, but uh, it, it turned out good. Cool. But... Uh, I think, and I don't want to speak for Rick, but I think there's going to be a few more of that style knife come out of the shop. Cool. Uh, because it seems to be received well, and um, like I said, I've been wanting to to lay to rest the Hornet for a long time. So <laughs> that would be a we we might we may I don't want to say yay or nay or or you know for sure, but uh, that may be a possibility of. Uh, maybe taking the place cool yeah yeah you guys have been busy busy <laughs> we have Never. been pretty busy but yeah. some uh, of us still with full-time jobs yeah uh, the and cool thing we're thinking that uh murph might get to uh, spend some more a little bit more significant time there at the shop too so i'm there's nobody happier about that than me so yeah yeah We'll make sure that's another podcast first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
What else? Just enjoying the weekend. Relaxing. Oh, this weekend is fabulous. I I can't. I lost count of how many times I've been here, but I don't remember ever. I think they the said weather. this is number eleven. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I didn't for make official the first gatherings. Ones. I didn't make the first one. I've been here ten other times. Okay. And then plus a couple supplemental times. But yeah. I've. It's never been this pretty. Yeah, it's really nice weather. No, I have to beautiful. say. Um, windy. At night. At I'm night, yeah. rocking myself to sleep in the hammock every night. But it keeps the bugs off of you, though, which is nice. Got to meet uh, a lot of new people. Yeah. Got to see the new boondock buoy. Oh, yeah, that's fun. It's yeah. awesome. That's, yeah. I'm glad that's finally out. Yep. <laughs> I hated sitting on that for so long. Yeah, we've known about that for years. Yeah, it's, it's been a long word time. About it, you know. And then the prototype's been floating around here for what close yeah. to a year. Yeah, yeah. We've been sworn to secrecy for a long time. On sorry, K Bar, we knew about it. Yeah, I, I, I played. <laughs> I played with that prototype the last time I was up here. Yeah. You know, so I think there was only maybe what maybe a dozen people that knew about it or something yeah. like that. It's so it wasn't any fault of Ethan's. It was just well, but we're he's like I got to tell somebody. So. Yeah, and we're we're nosy. That's yeah, thing. that's part of it. And actually, the you, you know. Back when he was, that was still a drawing mm-hmm. when when I saw it, and uh, that that's what I did, why I decided to make my <laughs> my Marine Raider Bowie knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually it's because, not a knockoff; it's a it's a good one. Right, because I well, you know, because I, I I wanted a big project to try to start, you know, with something big and challenging, and then to put kind of my own spin on it. And I thought yeah. that'd be like a great way to kind of start. I'm going to revisit it. Are you? Yeah. Outstanding. Good. Because yeah. I've got one coming in. Well, right. Well, see, I'm going to try to make them so they fit in the same sheath. That would be nice. Yeah. I know uh, the thing with those, you know, the V44, the Collins, and the old case and things like that, um, there's a lot of people that do those and a lot of iterations of those. Yeah. But I, it's not one of those knives you could say is ever a copy. So, like, you know, yours yeah. and then that one. It's not like anybody copied it. It's just... That knife's been around forever. Yeah. You know? Well, my, my blade shape is actually a direct copy of a, right, of a I mean, Collins that I had. But, every, but the rest of the know, execution, you, yeah. Yeah, if you look at every Collins, every single one is going to be different. You know, yeah. I don't think they I don't think they were quite as precise back in olden times as we tend to be now. Oh, <laughs> you know? So, like, uh, you know, the sheaths on those were pretty loose because I think there was some pretty tremendous variation. In they the had to. Have well, they had to. They were cranking there. them out so fast, too. Yeah. And like, then, yeah, because they, they made like 50,000 of them or something in one you, year. Well, you know, the original Raider Bowie, they didn't make near as many. Like a 1,000. Well, the, the ones they actually issued to the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, there was like, no, there wasn't even that many. I don't think. Really? Now that I think there's supposedly of the original Raider Bowies issued to the Raiders, there's supposedly only like half a dozen even left in existence. Jeez. And uh, I read some pretty cool stuff on that. I mean, that, that knife really interests me. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you know, being a Marine and all that kind of stuff. But... Obviously, I wasn't a raider or a force or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely a lot of cool history there. Um, so I'm happy to see that thing coming out. And, you know, K-Bar oh, put them nice. out, sold them, all that good stuff. And I think yeah. they're, what did I say, 450 And they're yeah, damn near, they're under 100 now left. Wow. Yeah, and that's in just in a couple days. And yeah. that's a package of, what is it, like well, a BK-4, BK-5, the BK-20, yeah. the Raider Bowie, for like 200 bucks or something. That's, I don't know how you beat that. That's an amazing deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, take either one of the the deals out. Take the, the BK-4 and the BK-5 out still of it. It's still a damn good deal. It's still a damn good deal. That money. 200 uh, take, bucks? Yeah. yeah. Or take the Raider Bowie out of it and sell the other two knives. It's still a damn good well, deal. Well, you know how it is. Yeah. I mean, K-Bar's only offered them directly on their site, so if they're... 
if they're 200 bucks MSRP on there, they're going to go to a dealer and be like maybe 150 or I don't know. I don't want to put a price on it, but something like that. That's a damn good price for that knife. So for 50 bucks, roughly, you're getting the other two knives. Yeah. It's, well, and uh, Ethan says they're not making any more of them. So by and I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this podcast gets out, they're all gone. So oh yeah. Sorry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I bought two. Well, I, I bought. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They cornered the market for you. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right there. I already got two. Uh, well, one of them was a gift from my dad. So. Cool, cool. So uh, yeah, we're just hanging out. And we got shooting a, the breeze and a lot of well, other makers up there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So cool people we've not really makers. had a lot of chance to spend time with at Blade when everything's hectic or. Dan Easton's here. That's that was cool to see him come. Dogwood Dan, there. yeah. Uh, um, ooh, you stole him from Adam for the podcast. You're doing one with him, right? Oh, I I haven't asked him yet uh-huh. if he if he wants to be on or not. I, be a cross reference podcast. Yeah, I you know I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to force someone to be on if they want to be on. I'll force him. I'll force him. Yeah. <laughs> we'll force him. But yeah, you know I don't. Some people just don't want to. Yeah, that's yeah, true. You know I I don't, I don't think try you to have any problem getting Dan to talk. Yeah. See what he's up to. I I I just met him briefly in camp. I haven't spent much time with him, so I yeah. don't really. I I'm kind of behind the times on a lot of the knife type stuff on forums, and so I, there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't really know about. Um, there's a there's this whole world on Instagram oh, of people that like make these knives that. There's this one knife, and I don't want to call out anybody by name, right? But there's a knife that they make that's, like, over $1,000. Uh, it's like a, a, a standard frame lock titanium folder, right? Okay. Standard. And then they just drilled a bunch of random fucking holes in the scale. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, no, for real. And so, like, somebody had this up for an auction, and I'm like... I was, I was curious. I'm like, what... What do the holes in the what 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 is the holes in the handle? And I had no idea. Like I, it was an honest question. I didn't know why the holes were there because uh, it didn't make any sense to me. But and I wasn't trying to be challenging. I just said, um, "What is the significance of the holes in the handle?" Right. You know. And people jumped down my throat. Really? Yeah. Really? They were mad because apparently. Like a lot of You're other people. You're not allowed to question it. Well, right. there's a lot well, of knife companies that don't like to talk, talk about holes. Well, and the, the, yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> but, the, but the whole point is, is like, apparently a lot of people have looked at that and said that's, that's really stupid, right? And I wasn't saying that. I thought maybe there was some significance. Oh, right. so they were trying to cut off the head before it even started. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. And so they just jumped down my throat. But then um, there's this other Instagram feed, which someone named... Uh, Mr. Snowman, that's been on the podcast quite a bit, <laughs> brought to our attention a couple podcasts ago, I had and to they go searching. Yeah, and they 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 picked up that particular knife and smashed oh. it. Oh man, smashed it. So uh, you know, listen, I, I to each their own with what you're going to do for styling and stuff. That's yeah. why you know a TM hunt is different than a knife that I make. Yeah. Is different than a dogwood customs, you know. Like, well, that's fine. that's yeah. the beauty of the personality of the maker. Yeah, getting put into the work. Yeah. Um, you know, if your stuff was exactly like mine and our stuff was exactly like Dan and so on and so forth, it would be a very boring knife community yeah. and world. Yeah. Fifties rushers. Right. And you know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. Right. And you know, the, and this is kind of the whole point is like, I'm not gonna 
bash somebody else's stuff. I right. don't care. You know, yeah. like if it's not for me, it's not for me. But I, it doesn't just because I ask a question doesn't mean I'm throwing dirt on somebody's work or something. Right. You know, right. but then well, it was taken that way. You know, a lot of stuff gets lost. I don't, I don't want to say that's the case, but I know we've had it where somebody questions something and maybe we take it as like an insult. And it's like, man, maybe they're just asking a question. Or like you know, like kind of what happened with you. You're just asking a question. They think it's already going that route that they've experienced before. Yeah. And then you know, there's people too that don't want to uh, recognize that some things are just aesthetic, some things are functional, and yeah. you shouldn't have a problem as a maker saying which are which. Right. Well, yeah. like like this, you know, there's ninety percent the, of this is aesthetic. Which you one know, is this? This is one that I made for myself. Well, I mean. For the people that can't oh, see it. Oh, okay. So I, this is a, uh, if you look on my Instagram feed, I made a double O knife for myself. It's basically, I wanted a hunting knife and I've been fooling around with, um, the plungeless swedges. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I've been fooling around with is angling that guard. Mm-hmm. So I put a, a 15 degree angle on the guard and then matched the, uh, plunge line to it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so there's, th- that is, there's nothing functional about any of that. Right. You know, it's just a, a looks thing. Right. So, you know, it's um, one of those deals. And, and so, you know, if you want to drill a bunch of fucking random holes in your handle, knock yourself out. Yeah, I don't care. That's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But, well, this isn't, you know, the wild, wild west or the, the new frontier. We don't have to carry just what comes down the pipe. We've got a lot of... Yeah, choices. You know, that's part yeah. of the cool thing about being knife makers and being in a community of knife makers. We've got options. Yeah. Right. You don't have to carry a damn ugly knife if you want if you don't want to. Well, and then here's the other thing, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are like these big time special forces guys that, you know, you know they're gonna carry a thousand dollar frame lock folder with um, minute of angle bullet holes drilled in there. I mean, right. you gotta have a knife for those guys. You know, they're not just gonna carry a fucking Gerber. They need a thousand dollar titanium frame lock with random fucking holes drilled in the handle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for the true operator. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just don't ask what the holes are for. Yeah, exactly. Or they'll <laughs> jump down your you. throat. You know, it, it's 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 funny and I know no everybody gets it, but uh I think you just have a lot of people on the internet that just have nothing better to do sometimes a lot of times Murph and I have this conversation quite often yeah we have nothing better to do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I've I've had people come back and uh, you know we've gotten to the point to where we can find stuff on TM Hunt you know yeah and, and we get people oh man I, I, I I've been asked by other people that have interviewed us well what do you think about this guy man he, he says he hates your guts and blah 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 so I don't know that guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 if I've done something to wrong this guy, I apologize. But yeah. uh, you know, and I think they're expecting a little bit different. Yeah, you know, yeah everybody I, wants I, the dirt sling. Yeah, I, yeah. right. I, yeah, I don't know this guy. You know, if he don't like my stuff, that's his. You know, I, maybe he doesn't understand, or maybe he doesn't care, or maybe he thinks it's ugly, or maybe I don't know. Yeah. You don't like that I've got small hands and a snubby nose. I don't know. I don't. But I don't know this guy. You know. Yeah. So, but I think sometimes people just don't have anything better to do. And, uh, you know, the beauty of it is doing activities like what we're doing this weekend. If people actually got out and did more things like this, I mean, um, you know, you could understand a lot more. There's very little conflict 
and knife ninjing around yeah. a campfire. Yeah, like, keyboard warriors don't come to events like this right. yeah. and leave or, keyboard warriors. Or if they do come, yeah, they do not pull that shit in. Yeah, in and they real come life. back with a fresh perspective right. and maybe a, a appreciation for who they're dealing with on the internet. I mean, yeah. nobody here is unapproachable. You know, on the internet, it's a different story. Everybody has their preconceived notions and whatnot, and you're just thinking, well, I'm going to say this about this knife, and who cares what they think about it, but... And I'm like you. I, I don't. I don't like doing that. You know, especially. Um, you know, you also got to thank people. So you know, a lot of people do this for a living. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, the last thing I want to do is take money out of somebody else's mouth. Exactly. You know, like I, I'm not going to sit here and like if I don't like something, I'm. I don't like it. That's fine. Yeah. Who cares? Right. You know, what, why? Why does anybody care what I want? Yeah. If you like it, buy it. I don't care. You know, uh, but uh, I uh, I stay away from the internet mostly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my Facebook and I have my own website and uh, I have my Instagram feed and that's pretty much all I do anymore. I yeah. I don't like to I don't like to go to forums a whole lot anymore. But you know, it's also it's a necessary evil. Yeah, yeah. If uh, yeah, if I was a if I was a full time maker, then I'd have to do it. There's nothing I could. Yeah, you got to to stay on the pulse. Yeah, to get of, away uh, from it of what you're dealing with, and you know, I mean, it, it's just a necessary evil on yeah. some levels, and then it's a joy on other levels. Yeah. Well, yeah. For you guys, you know, you guys are full time makers, and it's a diff- whole different world. Like, I what I do is I do one thing at a time. And I don't like to make the same thing twice. Sometimes yeah. I have to, like with those stupid imps. That was done, what, hey. three uh, three batches ago? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm wearing this one because I know it's one of the good ones, and Kyle will tell you why I know it's a good yeah, one. Yeah, because the first 20 he did the uh, heat treat on, uh, and then uh, I, I ended up buying a heat treat oven. You got the same thing, didn't you? Exactly the same, the same, and yeah. I use the exact same protocol. <laughs> yeah, is but, it the same you know, model even? It's the exact really? same model, okay. exact same everything. And then I bought a RC tester, actually yeah. at, at your advice, um, because there is there's no reason in trying to be so precise in just, your heat treat and not having a precise measuring tool. Yeah, and to, yes, you did the well, right thing. Well, at least to be able to spot check and make sure you did it right. 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 Yeah. Right. You know, so even you know, even if you're not testing absolutely everything, at least test something out of every batch. Exactly. You know, but uh, you, you expect that they'll be pretty close. But I, I've had nothing but good luck with it lately. Um, I would say that some of the powdered metal steels, you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta watch some of those. Uh, like. Uh, it's a factor for sure. Yeah. So. You know, you got you kind of got to be careful with those because a lot of times if you follow and do what what exactly the factory says you're supposed to do, weird stuff happens to the steel. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I had some leftover CPMS uh, 35VN, yes, and I just wanted to run some of the stuff that they say you can do with it. And, right. And one of the things that they say you can do is to normalize it, and they've got this real slow, like day-long step off. Uh, down to 1450 and then um, slower after that and by the time that stuff came out of the oven it was completely and totally delaminated and burnt up yes wow yeah yeah so yep. like yeah so i mean there's just 
There's a lot of stuff on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Some good. Information and some misinformation. Some not so good. And yeah. even sometimes from the factory. Yeah. Mm. You know. Well, so. um, when, I, when you and I was talking when you was doing your first batch. Yeah. I believe I got on there and told you you was overthinking it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I'm guilty of that sometimes, too. I've got to have somebody kind of slap me in the head every once in a while and say, listen, dude, you're, you know, you're complicated. Right. And, and to get back to what, what I was talking about is uh, the I'm big on the the actual data from the company and the the data from the company for O1 Tool Steel uh, said that you should bring it up to uh, I can't remember like 1200 or something like that and rest it there and and then bring it up the rest of the way and and you uh, you talked me out of that nonsense yeah. yes. and it was like it was supposed to be you were supposed to actually bring it up fairly slowly to 1200 and something right yeah it's right. it's not it wasn't a fast thing and and uh i think all you're doing if you do that unless you're making some big huge like industrial part like for a battleship right right i think you're just burning up your steel yeah and so wear and tear on your oven yeah uh, but you, you gotta you gotta look at the other things that O1 is used for, exactly, you know, uh, any kind of, uh, you go to any machine shop, they're always stacked with O1, you know, as far as high machinability and whatnot, and uh, there's a lot of applications, and there's a lot of ways to get to your destination, and there's more than one ways to skin a cat, uh, yeah. so um, I think I've been, heat, you know, I'm 42 years old, and I've been heat treating O1 tool steel for over 20 years now. So yeah, well, so so who who did I listen to? Okay, I listened to the guy that that has actually done it for a long time and not read about it on the interwebs. So. Yes. And well, I, and I, I'm no yeah. genius. O1 is not complicated, folks. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I was just having a story earlier with a guy because you know I told you we are experience we're experimenting with new steels. And I got laughed at earlier today. There's like, well, what's some of the stuff you're using? And well, I new steel does. New steel yeah. does exactly. <laughs> Not new steel yeah, from yeah. NASA. And I said, well, I've I've been doing some CPM 3V, some CPM 154, some 440C. I've got some A2, and I said, I actually did some 1095, and I was excited about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Well, somebody looked at me 1095, and I was like. Yeah. Didn't you learn how to tie your shoes before you put the boot on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, believe it or not, I have never worked with 1095. Yeah. I've O1's never... always been there, and it's always yeah. a mainstay. Uh, yeah. And with our backgrounds, I mean, O1 was available. O1 was available, that's yeah. right. I mean, uh, it was easy to get. Yeah, The um, I'm trying to think. You mentioned a couple steels. So the, the air-quenched steels. Yes. Um, you guys plate quenching those? Yes. Yeah. So what I did, um, I see how similar you guys did. I, I bought uh, a 12 by 12 inch, 1 inch thick piece of aluminum. Yes. And cut it in half. And then I just, I take, you know, you, it's wrapped in foil. And yeah. then I just plunk it down on there, put the other piece on top and stand on it. Well, we don't we stand uh, on it. We're a little higher tech than you. <laughs> okay. We, we got Home Depot clamps. Oh, okay. And uh, I've got this uh, uh, a piece of uh, railroad uh, that has been used for an anvil, among many other things. Oh, yeah. Really? Um, and that's what I set all my hot blades on. Yeah. When we heat treat, I just put 
My plates aren't that significant. They're a half inch. Well, okay. you got them. What were they? Half inch by five yeah. inches, maybe by something like that. Yeah. I think they you were know, like four and a half by like eight something. or something. Yeah. And I usually do two at a time, and then I put the plate on top, and then take these uh, clamps and just uh, clamp it down, and then yeah. uh, I take my air compressor. And I've got little spots cut in it somewhat oh, okay. to where you can get the airflow to it. Okay. Because that is fairly important. <laughs> I haven't done that. Yeah. <laughs> Try it. It, it, it actually it. cools really, really it fast. I cannot fast. believe. Yeah. The, I, the, another thing I was laughed at today, I was telling how fast it dissipates heat. Yeah, aluminum, yeah. Uh, I can take a piece of O1 out of the oven at... 1465 whatever it may be quenching in 150 degree oil and i'm still not touching that with my bare hand for five ten minutes you know whatever yeah uh and then the temperature is so much higher with the plate quench steels yeah it's you're talking 1900 1950 degrees and within a couple of minutes without any kind of oil it's completely dissipated yeah cold It's cold. 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 Yeah. I mean, you're you're cutting the foil off of it and putting it in your Put bare hand. Put it straight into your hand. I, yeah. I I didn't experience that. My my dad came over one time to the shop and I was telling him about it. And he called bullshit. I'm like, well, I got the oven going. You're gonna see this. Yeah, yeah. And I showed him and goes, well, I've old never man, that in a million years. Yeah, that was that was actually very surprising to me. Yeah. The first time I did a, 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 a plate quenched steel. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But aluminum is known for that, and that's why they plate quench with aluminum. Or, right. So, um. Now, the only thing, the only other thing that I'm, uh, uh, finding, a, I won't say difficult, but something that was kind of a culture shock for me working with the different steels is mm, the post grinding. Heat treat, treat grinding. Yeah. Uh, that and then you know they facet a lot they do and yeah. it's just it just seems strange at the same hardness as other steels but it just does not do anything but run the abrasives off your belt and it it feels and jim and i have gotten into this gotten into an argument about this on the podcast yes before, that he says you cannot tell a difference between one type of steel and the other if they're hardened to the same thing and i you, i'm like bull bullshit shit, you can't yeah yeah, yeah. There, you know, uh, there's a difference. Jim ever makes it to the shop, I will firsthand prove that point to him if he wants yeah. to put a, uh, But ceramic belts, I'm learning, is kind of yeah, that's the what answer. You have to. That's that's what I do. I get my belts from uh, that guy in Minneapolis, uh, Ryan. Oh, the sandpaper uh, guy. Yeah, sandpaper guy Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan, the sandpaper guy. Oh, is that a? It's Phoenix Abrasives. Phoenix Abrasives, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I get all my stuff from him, and I, you, ceramic belt, yeah. You pay more, but um, they last a lot longer, right. and especially for those crazy steels. Well, you don't yeah. pay more okay. when you... Well, when you figure it out. When you figure it out. Nice. I, I burn yeah. $100 worth of belts figuring that out. Yeah. Like, so, um, and I had a lot of fun watching him figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, uh, so here's another question. Um, some of those steels, like the... Probably by the time you're into the CPM 3Bs and things, they recommend like a cryo step in between. Yes. Have you have you been doing that? I have not, and here's yeah. the reason why. Uh, for what you're going to get out of it, um, I'm not saying it doesn't improve it. It does improve the steel, but for what you're going to get out of it for the expense and, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately... I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of secret out of retail. What I have to pay for it gets pushed on to the customer. 
So yeah. So you're driving the cost. You're up driving for not the much cost difference. up for not that much difference. Yeah. Uh, will it improve? Of course, it'll improve, but it's going to add significant cost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, so like the the one that I've worked with is the S35VN. Yes. And they recommend a cryo step in between the two tempering steps. And there's supposedly you can just do it with dry ice. Yes. But then the thing is, is like, like I'm buying like some big ass block of dry ice. It's going to cost a bunch of money. Right. Like, and are you really noticing any difference at all in the right. performance? Is the user going to notice the difference? No. The yeah. answer is no. And yeah. I, I don't know where you know where you live, but we live in Sparrow Fart, Indiana. We can't go down to the five and dime and buy a block of dry ice. You Me know? neither. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, the short answer is no, I haven't done it. Um, would I do it? Uh, maybe to scratch my own curious Just itch to about see, it. Yeah. Uh, but as far as um, offering it to the customers, uh, you know, it's that double edged sword. You, you try to offer it to appease the masses, and then somebody's going to bitch about it because it adds $50 to the cost of the knife. Yeah. Well, and, and, that, and this is the thing is like, if you're not going to notice a difference, and if it's a if it's a theoretical difference at best, mm, right? You know, so I, I haven't I haven't played with it yet. I think I will eventually. Um, the stuff is damned hard anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, the, the average other, person isn't going to push any knife to its limits. Yeah. So the, that very well put. The other thing I've been doing, and this is one of the knives. This is um, the. 35VN, I uh, I get it down to about dime thickness, but I try to get as much of the grinding and finishing done before it goes into heat treat. Mm-hmm. And then basically all I'm doing is putting an edge on, all right. because man, if you if you try to like polish and buff down, everything, yeah. and you're trying to get grind lines in, like if you're if you're trying to grind primary bevels on heat treated, like. You know that kind of steel. Oh, yeah, it's, it's facet, facet, yes. facet. You cannot. It just is difficult. And don't ask me how I know that. And that, yeah, that was a whole new experience for me. I've yeah. been making, you know, not like I said, I'm 42. I've been making knives now since I was. Well, I made my first knife in 1998. Yeah. And that was something totally new to me. I did not know how to deal with it. And like I said, how I dealt with it was I screwed up hundred dollars worth of belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah. But that's the beauty of what we do, you know. It it doesn't it doesn't remain boring. It always remains something new. It's it, it's yeah. not it's never anything that's mastered. That's the yeah. And you you keep pushing yourself, and once you get something figured out, if you're intellectually curious and you don't want to be bored grinding the same shit over and over again, then yeah, right. You need to try something new. Well, hey. we have. Never been over accused of being intellectual, but well, no, it, I, I it, know that's the case, saying. and we know we're dealing with some real idiots out there on the other side of the conversation. But uh, do you uh, do you run into? And I know you do actually. I don't know why I'm asking this, but you said something about your knife earlier. You didn't think it was exactly what you wanted to be. It wasn't a showpiece. Do you run into that a lot, or just with that particular knife? Which one? The one that's the ones on my that side? you carry. The ones that you know. The ones that I carry, I don't. Um, I don't finish to the level that I would finish for somebody else. Right. You know, because I get to a point, and I am looking at a knife, and I'm, I'm like, well, this is good enough for me. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, do I want to spend an extra hour 
tediously picking all of that solder off of the guard. Sure, right. sure. Uh, do for I want to... me, yeah. Yeah, for me. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not... My knife is to be used. Right. You know, and if it's good enough for me, then I'm happy with it. You right. know, but whereas something you're going to sell, you, you know, you, I tend to... What I do is I make it, finish it to where I think it's perfect, and then I set it aside for a good week. Come yeah. back and look at it later. And I come back and yeah. look at it, and I can always find something that yeah. that I missed the yeah. first time through. Absolutely. Well, I just wondered if other makers have that, because I know we got that with mine. Like, anything I got and I go to show somebody is always hideous. Yeah. Well, it's the plain is... Jane. It's getting used every day. It's just, yeah. and I like plain OD on yeah. handles. Anytime. Murph is... Murph is just fantastic for me. He is my perfect research and development, and he is the perfect guy. If if he can't screw it up, knock on wood, nobody can. But Pay at the same to time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I cringe so much because he does treat everything hard, and I know that whatever knife he has that he's going to show off, its function and everything is still flawless and perfect. But it's been beat to hell he's like oh yeah this is this is what we do it's like no no and, and that's to, not what we do I, man you've got me doing it i that's, give a disclaimer when i show somebody like hey uh, i've been carrying this for like four years so yeah that knife that knife <laughs> imagine what it was years four years ago to a water tower you know, yeah, on, yeah. but I, you know see here's the genius of it is because a lot of times i'll just get pissed off and i'm like man don't show that shit to people here i'll make you a new one so yeah. who's the genius <laughs> He's walking around. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need a new, like the yeah. M18. I need yeah. a showpiece. Oh, I got five of those now. I'm like, damn it, man. Now you know. I got two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, just, I wondered if everybody else had to deal with it. Dude. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like walking around showing off my <laughs> Oh, I do. I walk around waving it. It lets people know that you got one. Right. Well, you know, like, like for instance, I left the solder on the guard. Now, the grind lines on this are as good as I can do. They match up. I mean, to the eye perfectly. So that's that's what a lot of people do is they'll look and see if you get the Ricasso area yeah, right. right. Yep. Yeah. And they'll look down the blade and see if they match up. And if you do that to this knife, it's damn near. A well-trained eye can tell you if you are left or right-hand dominant. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, um, you know, and then, I don't know. If I was making it for somebody else, I would have taken that solder out of there and I probably would have spent a little bit more time... Um, on some different things but for me that's perfect that's all i want what i like about this and i told you about it earlier is the uh the bone that's on it people don't understand um how hard it is to get uh, a piece of bone turn out beautiful on a knife that has substantial size to its handle Mm -hmm. uh because People will look at a piece of horn. Oh, that's big enough. You know, you know, and they hold the tang up. That's big enough. No, but the by the time area, yeah. the usable area, the porosity inside, and and heaven forbid, if you want texture and color on the outside, yeah. Once you start cutting into that, uh, three fourths of it sometimes is unusable. You yeah. Know? Uh, the thing that I like about this, it's all rock solid, and and that takes an extraordinary piece to pull that off. Did you said yeah. that's camel bone. Yeah, stabilized camel bone. Okay. So, so we've been we've been talking about this. Uh, I've been talking for a long time about buying a mill. I think I'm gonna wait. Mm. I think the next thing I'm gonna buy is a vacuum stabilizing system, so that I can make stuff 
yeah. like that and make some exotic... Uh, well, I have religiously tried to talk you out of that mill for about the last yeah, year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the, I guess the, the, the reason I... So, I, too, want to eventually make some sort of a folder, but, you know, I want to kind of do it my way. You right. know, and uh, and I you, before you do that, you kind of have to play with it a long time, you know. Right. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to be able to do was add really tight, crisp fullers to stuff. Right. You know, and and maybe maybe even do the ninja thing and put some saw teeth in there. There you and, go. Uh, or put just, unnecessary holes in your handle so you can jump on people's <laughs> asses when they call you up and ask you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and if you don't know, yeah, you're not part of the crew. Yeah, or like, well, why is there such a... Why did you put a ricasso in front of the guard? And it's like, well, I put a ricasso in front of the guard so that there's a flat area on the blade so I can put my maker's stamp in there. Right. But since you don't know anything about knife making, of right. course you're going to ask that. Well, see, I come from a machining background, and, and the, thing about, the thing about the mill, I have a mill. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I set it up, and, of course, it may be because I'm just so used to doing the other things, I find that uh, by the time I set up the mill to do this or that, it... it it's easier or more time um, time appropriate or you know yeah. uh, for yeah. for me to just uh, go ahead and do it by hand what do you think we yeah. turn on that mill two hours out of every year maybe yeah. <laughs> what what it's fantastic for is setting beers on it <laughs> yeah, it's got a sticker on there I believe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now however uh, we do use the lathe a lot yeah uh, turning lanyard tubes and things like that. Yeah, oh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so nice. I mean, uh, I've got a huge stock of, like, uh, quarter-inch pin material. Yeah. And I, I'll go ahead and buy tubing, but I run out of it all the time, so it's nice to not have to stop on a project when I can just turn my own tubes or something yeah, like that. Right. Uh, and, and that's that's a very elementary project for a lathe, but uh, we use the lathe quite a bit. The lathe gets used a lot more than the mill ever would. Yeah, that's what everybody tells me. And you can get a good tabletop. I mean, for what we do, you can get a good tabletop lathe for almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Anything else you want to add? Thanks for thanks for having us, as always. It's thanks a pleasure to us. hang out with you, Kyle. Check yeah, out the likewise. Instagram, the Facebook, the... Yeah, for all, for all of you guys on Instagram <laughs> that complain that we don't throw enough pictures up, um, Tag us in some. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like you know hitting hitting the social media thing. Um, oh man, it's a full time job in itself. That's a full time job in itself. A lot of times I come in from the shop at ten o'clock at night and take my shower and I'm wired. And, uh, but that still doesn't mean that I want to spend another hour or two, um, you know, on Instagram. So I apologize. We will strive to do better. We'll throw one up today. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll put a couple up today and. Uh, Kyle, when are you going to get down our way sometime? We'd like not, to have you at the shop. Not we'd, long, yeah. It'd be fun to do, like, a shop day. It would Bring be that, uh, it would be a chic-looking guy with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it'd be yeah. a blast yeah. to uh, have you guys at the house and have maybe a weekend of uh, playing with some steel. We'd love to have you guys. Yeah, could do a do a one-off fun thing. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. a collaboration or something. Yeah, yeah. just a Screw one-off around, yeah. fun thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's, let's we'll plan that. it. That'd be Heck a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, we'll come up with yeah. some crazy idea and execute it. Some time coming in July to October that I'll be there 
Yeah, he's much every day. He's he's got some time coming off work, and uh, like I said, I'm I'm excited about that. And yeah, I'll find a weekend. Cool. Find a weekend, come up, and we'll have Probably some. Like a five hour drive from you or something. Maybe a little longer. Yeah. Yeah, it's five hours to Chicago. Okay. So. Anyway, an hour of it will be shoveling through the snow, but. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hopefully, it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well. Thanks for being on once again. Uh, check them out. Uh, TM Hunt Custom Knives. That's your website, right? Yes. Dot com. Yeah. Uh, and then you guys have links to your Instagram and it Facebook. It should be Instagrams t.m.huntcustomknives. And then make uh, sure you put the dots in there, otherwise yep. you'll find it. Yeah. And uh, basically, Facebook, same thing. Yeah. I I'm kind of detached from it. TM Hunt Custom Knives usually get you wherever you want to yeah. go. Yep. And then he's got a forum on uh, Blade Forums. Sub forum, yeah. Yep. Yep. Sub forum. Custom maker section. Yep. So cool. check them out. Uh, I like their stuff, and they they actually did the uh, first stuff that I sold. They did the heat treat for it. I still have some of that stock left. Oh, Outstanding. Cool. Yeah, I still have. Uh, all of the uh, sailors' knives, the peg leg. Yeah, oh, those were cool. Those? I was looking yeah. forward to those. Yeah, yeah. and I, st- I have sheaths for them, so eventually cool. I'm going to put those out. I still have uh, four of the five parangs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, left. I would like there. to get one of those parangs eventually. Yeah, they're nice. Before I forget to ask, did you check out the uh, bicentennial bow I brought? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. Th- that was a project that I, I we was pretty excited about. Yeah. The, uh, yep. That was the 200th anniversary of our county and state, and the uh, the uh, planning committee of Jackson County got a hold of us to do a project, and that's what we came up with. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I can only dream. <laughs> hey, we got, uh, if you get on the Facebook, I think there's uh, seven increments. We uh, we documented exactly every bit of that process. How you did it, yeah. yeah pretty much. Nice. So. Okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks again. Me. Yep. Thank you. So I'm here with uh, Ethan Becker, my friend, and uh, this is the Becker Gathering. So you're very likely to hear all sorts of nonsense in the background, including forging and yes. maybe gunshots. Ping, ping noises are has the sound of hot metal being beaten into a knife. Right. It's the sound, the nice sound. Right. And so basically we're going to have to make this quick because people are going to interrupt us. So... Right down to business, he has a brand new knife just released this week, the BK-20 by K-Bar. Yes, the Bundok Bowie. Right. And I'm going to start off with why it's called the Bundok Bowie. Okay. And that is is that during the Philippine insurrection, the, uh, the Marines found out that what the locals called Bundok the Bundok was the mountains. 
Okay. Which, considering that the Philippines have a very, generally a very short um, coastal plain and then mountains, mountain also meant remote place. Okay. I.e. the boondocks or the boonies. Boonies. From which we get, the Marines took the name boondocker for their combat shoes during World War II and I think well into Korea or maybe further. Okay. And also, um, we talked, I mean, it's the, the boonie hat. I mean, right. So basically, uh, I took the design mostly as derivative from the, uh, what it was originally made by Collins. This one's a, an example by Western and I think was made at the Camillus plant. And this is a V44 which was originally adopted, um, one of the Collins models, I think the Model 18, was adopted as a survival weapon for aviators in um, Central America and um, Hawaii. So it was later adopted, uh, they bought a 1,000 or 2,000 of them, something like that, and then I think the, the, the buy went up to 50000 when they issued them generally as uh, seat, pack, um, seat pack survival tools. And it's a very nice uh, blade. It's a little bit, this one's about 9 inches long. This one is uh, has a slightly weight-forward design. As, um, uh, it looks like it's full-height convex ground, but it's not quite. Um, the grind comes to there, and then it was flattened out uh, by hand. Um, very nice blade. And I was in love with Bowie knives when I was in my, young, in my younger years. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of German Bowies that were had um, convex uh, edges, and I didn't understand them at age 14 and could never get them to get sharp. But I wasn't very good at sharpening anything at that age. And I had also a big buck general uh, bowie, which uh, was too light in the front. Very, you know, decently made, especially for the time. But um, I never did did much like it. So I kind of fell out of love with bowies because I never could get them to work right because I couldn't get them sharp or they didn't have the right heft. So then... There was an article in Soldier of Fortune about a guy who modded a V44 and uh, to make an inexpensive soldier's knife, and he straightened, he straightened the clip out and uh, cut off the top um, part of the the uh, uh, guard so that it could be you could get a thumb out there. And opened this bird's beak up so that it was uh, more gradual, so that it didn't work. The narrower this radius is, the more it works the little finger and hurts. And you can get real tired and real pained real quick if you're not careful. Um, That's why the standard machete handle from the old World War II design uh, hurts so much. So anyway... um, over the years, a lot of um, there were a lot of influences that uh, caused me to want to do a version of the V44 
44. And one of the influences was the guy that was running the jungle operations training center in Panama, whose name I cannot remember and I can't find the reference anywhere in the house, of um, saying that a 12-inch machete was the ideal survival tool. And that made a lot of sense. But a machete as a more of a slicing uh, tool than a hacking and whacking tool. And I think that you should be able to chop things as well as slice them. So this is a full quarter inch thick. Uh, this, this is, is a the prototype. Prototype, yeah. This is a prototype that uh, of Paul Tujimoto's idea of a, of a good time. And it retained uh, uh, this shape. And I have always liked there's an earlier Collins model that where this is almost non-existent, and I always like the looks of it more. And um, and I wanted the heft, so we've got a quarter inch. It's ground all the way to the top, and it's relieved at the top so that when you're exiting a soft target, you get an, a much easier release of the blade. And it still retains, for those of you who worry about batoning above all else, um, a thick enough spine. This is not sharpened at the top. It just looks like it is. It's relieved. So it's really designed as a, I mean, it's a performance tool. I mean, it, it really will uh, get the job done. And so what we finally ended up with was this one. And this is, if you uh, hold these up, it's very, very similar. Um, but there is a straight clip rather than a full clip. And it's a little narrower in the waist. And any knife, I think any knife that's used that's designed as a woods tool should be able to do small work as well as big work. So you can, um, you can you can just change the grip a little bit on this and work it like this and you can do quite fine work mm -hmm. by and Kyle and I decided that we both are geniuses about how to carve stuff um, a lot of the outdoor education uh, people have outdoor education backgrounds and are completely consumed with safety say so you should be out here and go like that. I get no control. I can't do it. So I get in close and make sure that my digits are out of the way and I can do quite nice little work close up without hurting myself most of the time. So um, I like having uh, I like having the, the the sharp part go all the way down here. Some people like a choil out in front of the handle. To me, that's a recipe for... I know that it will be a disaster for me because I will end up with a finger that will slip up onto the blade itself and it, I will start bleeding. And I don't like to bleed. I really don't. I'm <laughs> a baby about it. Um, and the more I bleed, the more childlike I become until I become infantile, and then I get very mad. <laughs> there you go. So, anyway, um, it's a it's a good chopper, 
and uh, it plays machete very well, and uh, it's pretty good at, at the little stuff. And this, you can do this with any big knife, and it's a kind of a useful thing to know, and it's an emergency thing. But if you take your thong and put it back here, you can use it awkwardly, but you can still use it with a considerable amount of control if you have to skin something. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just another tool in the toolbox. I really want something small to do that, but I can do it with this. Squirrels are a little awkward. <laughs> Chipmunks even more so. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, it's it's uh, uh, it's a quite versatile tool. The Marine Raiders um, are the people who made this famous, and um, and they called it the gun. The Second Raider Battalion bought a thousand of them, and they were referred to eventually as gung ho knives. And um, and Evans Carlson's Second Raiders uh, regarded this tool as uh, very very highly. Um, Lowell. Bulger, who was a second raider, is quoted as having uh, saying in one of M.H. Cole's books, from which I got most of the historical data for this, um, uh, said that it was, I'm trying to get this quote exactly right, it was absolutely the single most useful weapon and tool we had. Hmm. And um, I don't know if I've made it a little bit more useful or a little less useful, but it, I don't think um, I don't think I did too bad a job on it. I like it. <laughs> I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have any to give away. <laughs> there's no, there's very few of them. Yeah, they they think that they, this will only be a, a less than 500 piece run. Hmm. So I bought one right away as soon yeah. as I heard about it. Um, I've been preaching preaching Raider Bowie to him for years, so. Yeah, and as an interest, it's an interesting tool, and it's very useful. Yeah, and it's. Uh, he, I think his adaptation of it. Um, so there's this. There's this one. This is this is a much finer example of a, a craftsmanship and overall knife than the actual Marine Raider Bowies. Yeah, because I have an actual Marine Raider Bowie, and it's just a. It's a hidden stick tang thing and. The guard green, is green janky. horn handles, right? And the, yeah. the handle is too short. I can I can barely fit my handle on it. So, um, you know, it's uh, I think the improvement is in the handle. Uh, the other thing you notice about this knife is that this is a what an 11 inch blade, just about. Yeah, it feels extremely lively in the hand, and that's that's one thing I would definitely say. Um, that was unexpected when I when I was handling this. I did not expect it to be as lively as. Yeah, I hung around with I've hung around with Jerry Fist too much. Yeah, and um, Jerry's our national living treasure knife maker, and um, he makes extremely elegant and beautifully balanced knives. And this is not does not have the liveliness that a Fisk does, but I'm no Jerry Fisk. <laughs> Um, it's actually more Kroll-like than Fisk-like in its balance. Okay. And, um, uh, and Jim Kroll is um, uh, an ABS Smith that very few people really know. 
and who taught generations of uh, ABS Smiths. But he had a real job until a few years ago. Uh-huh. So wasn't full-time, but he was he's an extremely skilled craftsman. Unlike the and me, who are just still at the beginning stages. There you go. Of things. Yeah. And you're lucky because you started a lot younger than I did. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to be much better by the time you get to be my age than I am. I have a lot to learn. We all do. But, we all uh, do. Well, it, it's, thanks it, yeah, for thank you. coming on. And, and uh, this will also be on the podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, you'll hear this interview um, and video. And I, I'm going to splice in some stuff. I've, I took all kinds of detailed photos of, of the, the prototype and the actual production model with measurements and things like that. And I'm going to splice that in here at the end. Uh, with some close-up photos, and there goes the gun. So that's probably our signal. Maybe they don't like what they're hearing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for thanks for being on. Hey, always a pleasure. Yep. Always a pleasure, sir.